0: My push for most things is me seeing something that seems difficult or there's a puzzle there and I want to see if I could do it. That's always been kind of like the driving force of everything I do. Like I never thought of myself a content creator and I just wanted
1: to know. And I did it and it was cool. So I kept doing it. It's like a self-challenge. It's an internal challenge for yourself. Can I break this or can I like create this new paradigm? It sounds like.
0: Yeah, Exactly that's everything. Everything I do is always about challenging something and and seeing if I can do something that's very difficult. This sounds very cheesy but like stay true to who you are and make content that you like, right? Because because content is like a it's an endurance game. It's about staying consistent without burning yourself out Um, because technically I can make two or three videos a week but I also want to reserve a lot of spare time for myself. That's just the rhythm that I'm comfortable with mental health be better and I can keep grinding this this game because to me, content creation is all about endurance.
1: If you put too much like on your plate, eventually you just burn out. Welcome to Humans of Magic. My guest this week is Rebel's Sun. Rebel is a content creator, YouTuber, and UX designer. She's also a member of the Commander Advisory Group and deeply passionate about building the communities around her. We talked about Rebel's content creation journey, her super valuable perspective on grinding content, and even what it means to be Asian American. Oh, by the way, make sure you tune into the YouTube version of the podcast. Rebel name drops a lot of people, and I added subtitles for the names. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Rebel Sun. Thank you for tuning in to the audio version of Humans of Magic. This project is a labor of love, and I do it on a part-time basis. I wanted to let you know about all the ways that you can support the project. Number one, tell a friend. If you like the content, please pass it on and let others know about the pod. I'm always looking for new listeners. Number two, subscribe to the Humans of Magic YouTube channel. The video version of the podcast is the best one because you can see my guests, you can see all their fun expressions, and it's awesome. Go to humansofmagic.com and find all my social links there, including YouTube. That's humansofmagic.com. Last but not least, I have a Humans of Magic Patreon at patreon.com/slash/humansofmagic. Totally optional but your direct support goes a super long way. Patrons will have access to my exclusive Discord chat and will have the ability to suggest future guests. If you like the sound of that, head on over to patreon.com slash humans of magic. Once again, thank you for being a fan and thanks for listening. Let's get to this week's episode. Rebel, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What have you been up to recently? I guess there's been a lot of stuff happening in the magic world, but also just how are things in general? There's always,
0: always stuff happening. Um, everything's been good. I've been playing a lot of Arena. I was just playing Arena like right before this. Um, so I've been playing a lot of Explorer and I'm really enjoying my uh, blue-green Delver deck.
1: Okay. My understanding is that you play Delver, like, is that, is that one of your favorite archetypes in, in magic or, uh, or I a similar strategy? I honestly really
0: looked into, like, I've no of, I've, everybody kind of knows what Delver is, but I've seriously started to look into like playing that deck kind of like the last couple months. Cause I started to try more, um, go back. I tried to go back to 1v1, um, kind of magic formats again. Um, and to learn those skills better and to like practice all that stuff better. I really wanted to find a punishing deck and I was like, I want to learn Delver. I want to be a good Delver player. So then I, I, I played Arena because Arena, unlike MTGO, lets me play like for free, basically as long as the cards, as much as I want. Um, I think MTGO, you need to like get the ticket. Or like buy tickets to play in a league and then you get like better opponents. While Arena, technically I guess if you like rank high enough, you will have like better opponents. So yeah, I've been just been playing a lot of Delver decks uh in, in Arena.
1: Have you been playing Historic for, for long or it's oh I'm sorry, it's uh I'm sorry, World Explore you said. Explore. I, yeah. I, I get mixed up all the time with the different formats now. There's just a lot of them out there. So yeah, apologies. There's a lot. No, yeah. it's okay. Uh, Explorer, by the way, is fake Pioneer. So until they have all the cards on Arena for Pioneer, they have Explorer. Mm, okay. And uh, how, how did your session go today? Did you have fun? Did you, did you had stream it, or had just it. play on your own? I play
0: on my own. Um, I'm not much of a streamer, actually. I So for this stuff, I'm just like silently practicing in my room, um, just grinding game after game, and I had a really good time actually. this deck turned out to be really cool. I used to have a blue red Delver deck. I tried to force, uh, Is it Delver and Explorer? And I think I got to Diamond. Um, but it was a, it was like a lot of work, like that deck is not very good. And then I played this one and so far I'm still in Platinum, but I just started playing like a couple days ago again, and this deck just feels a lot better. So, so I think this one most likely can go a little further than the other one. So it feels good.
1: Yeah. I, I didn't play the format, but I, I have played expressive iteration quite a lot. Is that is that something that is very tough to do without? It sounds like you were just saying Blue Red is actually was actually harder in some ways, even though it had the card, right?
0: It's because expressive iteration is banned in Pioneer and Explorer, That explains too. it. Yeah, that so explains you, don't, it. you actually don't have expressive iteration, yeah. Yeah. You have to play... I forgot what it's called. There's a there's a red spell that is like a fake
1: expressive, expressive iteration where you exile
0: two cards and onto
1: your next one you can play them. Oh, yeah, yeah. As I tried playing that in Modern at one point just to see if it could be expressive number five and number six. It did not have the same effect.
0: <laughs> no, expressive iteration feels so good. I haven't played with expressive, expressive iteration until this year. I started playing Modern. I have a money pile deck. And mm-hmm. the first time I resolved expressive iteration, I was like, oh, Magic can play like this, exile bobble, like or exile land, play bobble or like whatever. Like it's just so good. That card's so good. Feels
1: very it's good. It's crazy it's crazy too because uh, I know you've been playing Magic for a while, I I'm sure, and I, I've been playing Magic for a while, and it just seems like whenever cards first come out, people always misevaluate them. I still remember when EI was, was out and even being assessed for eternal formats like Legacy and Modern. People were like, I'm not really sure about this card. You know, like, is it really good enough? And then at some point it just becomes like everyone plays it as a four of. And that whole leap into from like, I don't know about this card whatsoever into this is a guaranteed four of. That that always strikes me as very fascinating because I always feel like there's a bit of groupthink into that as well. It's almost like you make it a reality. It's like if enough people believe the thing then it becomes real. You know what I mean? Yeah. So actually there's, there's, t- I could talk about this for a really long time. So I'm, tr- I'm not going to take oh, too much an interview about this. Okay. No, that's
0: fine. So, so stuff like express, uh, expressive iteration. Um, like, I think everybody, like the meme is like, no, nobody in magic really knows how to like read cards, like, you know, uh, assess cards when it comes out. Right. Um, and cards like expressive, expressive iteration, or like, a lot of other magic cards, you don't see the effect or like feel the effect until you actually pick up the card and play it. Right. Um, and I think expressive iteration, a lot of other cards are like that. And, and a big concern of mine, uh, especially, especially with this year's like product cadence, maybe even last year is that there's so much product coming out that there's a lot of cards that we're just not able to like assess properly for, for commander or competitive commander. And something I talk about a little bit with uh, I don't know if you know I don't know if you know who Charles Swang is Charles Swang uh, Mono White Guy Ilvaldi uh, Mono White Guy Ilvaldi Yes Yeah So So Charles uh, brought up that. There's all these cards he likes to play that people have never seen before and don't really know the value of, um, but he plays them, you know, like, perfectly. It, it has a, It's used as a special, like, tool to do a specific thing, and, and attacks a man in a very specific way, and the cards have always been there. That's the thing. It's just no one ever looks at them, and mm-hmm. with, the, like, the, I guess, the concept of groupthink, right, with all these decks in, like, Competitive Commander, how do we know, like if we've really tapped into like, or how much of the format have we tapped into if there's this kind of like deluge of cards and we don't have any time to look at any of it. um, And there's like cards right now, like the the transformer cards where I'm like reading the card and I read through that card halfway. I'm like, I don't know what this card does. And there's another book on the backside. Right. And, and it's, I think, I think those cards are like expressive iteration where when you read it, you might not feel the effect until you actually play with the card. I think there's a lot of cards like that that we haven't really explored uh, well enough. So there might be a lot more expressive iterations out there that haven't been banned yet.
1: It's so unique because Magic's one of those games where you actually get a heads up, like an early preview of the pieces before you're actually able to play them in a game. Imagine a computer game where they actually announce like, oh, this is the new like wizard class or barbarian class and you, you are able, this is what it does. this is the in-game physics of that piece. And here are the powers. It's like, it's just so hard to assess because you can't plug it into the game. Like, you don't, you, you just don't know, like nobody really knows. And, uh, uh, I love your point about, uh, mono white guy as well, because as you probably know, now going into, uh, 1v1 formats, it's like when there are not enough incentives to break a format then people are not going to try it right like like that mono white guy is going to explore something because they're really into it you're going to explore something because you're really into it but you're not exploring for the purpose of like i want to win this like 50k cdh tournament right or i, I i'm I, i'm just throwing an example out there maybe there is a 50k cdh tournament and people will, will, will then try to there will be and people will like in the future and people will try to break the format, but if there isn't enough uh incentives to break the format, then people can just have fun. But then that also introduces the other problem of like then everything is kind of subjective. Like I, I don't know if I'm expressing myself super well, but no it's, I, it's I, like... I hear
0: you. And it's I actually was just talking about this with someone else too. Um where especially of content creation these days, uh you're not incentivized to actually Crack a format um, to the degree that you might have in the past. So, for example, or the reason why is because uh, viewers just don't really care about meta decks. Like, there's there's a subset of viewers who do, but more a lot more players want to see, want to want to want to watch the the janky fun deck beat the you know the underdog beat the meta deck, right? They want to learn more about all the weird things out there, and if someone makes a video that's like. Here is a two-hour uh, critique on the two uh, flex slots of Blue Red Deliver. Like the 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 audience of that is so much smaller. So as a content creator, you're actually not incentivized to like publish that information publicly. Like you are uh, personally as like a, a grinder or like a, uh, a very competitive player, you amongst your players are sharing the information and practicing and doing all that stuff. But the actual sharing of that knowledge. You're not incentivized to do that just because, like, people don't really want to watch it. Mm -hmm. So,
1: yeah. You have to entertain, right? And that's just not very entertaining. And uh, uh, I have this talk with content creators all the time. It's like, of course, you have to build something for yourself, which makes it sustainable, (laughs) but you also have to care a lot about your audience. And if you're going to, like, put out a video like that and it gets five views and nobody cares about it, then you're just not incentivized in whatsoever to, to do that. Like your patrons don't want it. Your YouTube subscribers don't want it. Like who wants it? Like it's probably not even video format, right? It's probably like more like just a tweet or an article or something. It's like, cause that's what oh. grinders will consume. I, I don't know any grinder that honestly like watches, will watch like a one or two hour video essay on, on magic. It just doesn't really happen. Maybe there's exceptions, but uh, it just doesn't seem like it to me. So I think you would have to be like, the, the subject has to be really good and you are like... You have the, to be like a PV as yeah. well. Like you have to have someone like people are just coming into the door because of your your name or your background or something, right? hmm Yeah. Um, but I do want to ask you, Rebel, like how did you decide to get into 1v1? So uh, before I played Commander, I
0: used to play a lot of Modern. Um, that was like kind of my jam. I played a lot of Modern. And then uh, I had a competitive gaming problem. Uh, like I had really bad anger issues i still do it's better now it's a lot better now but back in the day uh it's been really really bad um and it didn't really bleed into modern as much but i what i tried to do was to like kind of solve that problem was play less competitive games um which is why i moved over to commander so then i don't like i won't be incentivized to like Kind of care about the game the same way a competitive game would, and I just played a lot more single player games, all that stuff. Right? I just stopped playing uh, online, like competitive gaming, um, or like local competitive gaming, just to like get that out of my my life or whatever. Uh, so I played Commander, but then eventually, some people like within my meta got like brought a lot stronger decks, and we can probably talk about that later. Okay. And so the arm, one eventually started, yeah, yeah, and then, and I eventually got back to to playing competitive. Uh, New York sounds um, Competitive Commander and then now that I'm playing Command Commander a lot and I've done a lot of events and stuff like that um, I'm trying to like solve the same problem with like my competitive gaming issues by like trying to just be a better magic player first of all and also in that process like be a better competitor
1: which is why I'm playing 1v1 again So it's kind of like, uh, a full circle. Yeah, exactly. When you first started playing commander, was it hard to turn off the competitive or salty aspects of your, yourself?
0: Uh, so actually not really. Like when I first played commander, um, the first time I ever played commander, I bought, uh, the Kalia precon, and back then, like there weren't nearly as many commander players. At all, and the only other person at my college who played Magic had a sixty-card deck that he, he built back when he played Worldwake, and I have this uh, hundred-card precon. So I played it straight as a singleton deck with no special rules, just twenty life. And we played, and I still beat him. It was very funny. Um, but uh, uh, that was the first time I ever played Commander. It was it was just playing it as like a straight-up deck. And then yeah. uh, eventually, I went to an LGS in new york called uh uh it's not 20 sided it is uncommons um this for like i don't know all your new yorkers they might be like yeah uncommons um uncommons had this has this back room where they would host commander night and i dragged one of my friends out to to like play it because uh he's like a really big magic brewer not really much of a player he's just like brewing i'm like oh you have to play commander it's like the brewer's dream you get to like build a hundred cards and it's like all singleton. you'll love it. Um, So I dragged him out with me and we started playing a lot of Commander there. And those games, I never really got like, uh, I never really got mad. And I've really, I found I really enjoyed those games because what I love about Commander or just magic in general is when I'm able to see like kind of like how it's like a story, right? Like uh, how this card off in the distance, nobody cares about it. It has modular one. Who cares what it does, right? 20 turns later, this big dragon is attacking and somehow he needs one more power. And then this guy kills the modular one thing and puts a plus one, plus one counter. And then, like, you know, that 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 amazing story is created out of these cards that have, like, no... Uh, no, like, direct inf- or, like relationship. It just happened to be that way, right? And it's, like, kind of storytelling, but also sometimes you're able to see, like, oh... If I have modular and then I have hardened scales and this thing dies, this thing gets two plus one, plus one counters. Like you're able to see those synergies and the mechanics of the game. So like those things, I just really love just sitting there, like watching, like, like thinking to myself, like, oh God, if that person does that, and that, that thing does that, like, oh, all this fun stuff happens. So, um, I never really got mad at all, like playing that, playing just commander. Um, it's only when I started playing competitive
1: commander, like came back <laughs> <laughs> old habits or mindsets die hard. I, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about that intricacy of magic and the modular one thing fitting together with the dragon or like figuring out these ways to realize board states? Like it's almost like the way you describe it. magic's almost like a, it's a story, but it's also. A puzzle it's also something yes. that is very intricate like a puzzle box and you're constantly trying to figure out like there's a new knob here that can turn on this thing over here which might even be like like the third player or something like it's there's mm-hmm. almost infinite combinations of things like I- i'm curious what is there something in your past or background that makes you particularly attractive to it? Like, for example, were you like really into puzzles? Were you just into games in general? So or what was it? My,
0: uh, when I was like six, I don't know, very young, my mom would give me puzzle books. And that was my thing. I would just do little puzzle books at home. Um, and that was like my playtime, which is like the most Asian parent thing you probably okay. ever heard. Uh, it's just like playing with puzzles. Um, And then and solving problems, and I always, like, I think a lot of magic players really enjoy, like, solving puzzles, because that's what all magic is, right? It's like trying to solve the puzzle. If there's two blockers, they're at 20 life. How do I, you know, solve the puzzle of getting them to zero? Um, And I'm also a UX, like, designer. Uh, as my occupation. So systems design is like also a thing I'm into. So like, I think it all just kind of like weaves together where I just like looking at a lot of very complex things and then like trying to find like synergies or like other relationships and then like doing things to like, it's almost like pulling on those strings um, to, to get the story to unfold or get this get the machine to work that
1: way. You You, you mentioned having like anger issues or being angry or salty at magic like, where do you think that comes from?
0: Oh, I I, I know exactly where this comes from because um, I've had this discussion a lot um, with my friends. So basically, I think to to be really frank about it is like when I don't do well in a game and, and magic actually isn't that bad. Uh, it's when I play like Overwatch and like other games like that where it gets really, really bad. Overwatch was a really interesting experience for me because I've ne- until Overwatch came out, I've never played a first-person shooter game like in my life. Like I played Halo, but that I never played competitive Halo. I just played the story mode and like had fun that way. Um, but Overwatch was like. Oh, this is cool! Like, I like the game. I like the characters. What I want to do is, I want to play Widowmaker. I want to pick the hardest, like you know, sniper character, and I want to be really good at Widowmaker. That's my thing. So then, what I did was, I locked myself into my room for like a whole weekend and just practiced Widowmaker. I looked at some guides and like just did the did the rounds and like practiced flicking and like the, all the other stuff. Um, and then I got really, really good at Widowmaker. Um, people like back then would be like, oh, this person's aimbotting or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm just, I just practiced a lot. Um, but then when I'll play my friends and and my team might not like be doing very well, I will get really upset because uh, it's not necessarily my friends, but in my mind, it's uh, a reflection of me, like my performance as a reflection of me. And, and if I'm not doing well, if I lose a game, I think I, I, I imagine my opponents is looking down on me. So it makes me very upset. Um, Sometimes now, magic is is somewhat similar. I think it's the same thing, but it has the added like a uh, layer of Overwatch. I think the decision making is more real time, so it's more uh, acceptable, I guess, to make the wrong decision because it's a split second, right? Like you know, you miss and you're and you're done. You don't crouch and you get headshot or whatever. And Magic, you have a lot more time—not like too much, but you do have a lot more time. And 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 I think the mistakes are so much more punishing because you had all sort of all the time in the world to make the right decision and you made the wrong one. And that one's going to live with you forever.
1: (laughs) So is it also true? Is it also true in overwatch? Like a lot of first-person shooters, there's effectively no variance. It's more like chess and that is completely skill-based, right? Or I could be wrong here. I mean, I think, I think there might, I
0: mean, I don't, I I didn't play overwatch like that competitively to be able to say like confidently that there's no variance, but I, I think, Yeah, I think it's a lot definitely a lot more skill based um, and there's less variance, but there's probably still some variance of like, depending on which character you have, like junk rats, like little grenades, you know, like they randomly bounce around. So sometimes it just happens that the bounce right on your face or whatever and you die. Right. Um, Widowmaker, on the other hand, there is is all skill. All skill.
1: Yeah, all skill. If I miss that shot, it's on me. What made you even get into Overwatch? Being your first shooter game that you I just played the seriously,
0: it just—I think it—it it was fun. I remember playing like uh, just with my friends. The characters are cute, um, and it's just like the animation style is nice. Like it just visually looked nice, and the Blizzard games was built nice as well, and it was just fun. So I just wanted to like be really good at this game.
1: So you did feel like your performance as the character is kind of like a a reflection of you or, or, or to put it another way, like if you didn't do well, then that would be some sort of, if you did well, it would be some sort of validation. If you didn't do well, it would be something against that. Is that fair to 100%, say? Yeah.
0: Okay. Definitely.
1: <laughs> but magic has that issue too, right? Because like, mm-hmm. you don't say I, this person, like this commander beat me or this card beat me. You say this person beat me. So it's, it's, uh, it, but, but you're saying it's kind of, it's, it's degrees, right? So it's, it's better in some respects or? I think it's the same. I've just learned how to process
0: it better now. I think as now, especially with the added layer of content creation and other things like that, there's there's other pressures um, and things like that while I'm playing this game. And and uh, I've worked very hard to try to like learn how to control that aspect of it.
1: Okay. Can you tell me a bit about your... Your background, like where did you grow up, and uh, maybe things that people may not know about you, just through the magic stuff. Like, uh, just help. Maybe just start real simple. Like, where did you grow up, and uh, tell me about your your family and and basically your, your your background. Oh, this one, this one,
0: you'll have fun with this. It'll take a while.
1: Um, so I have all the time in the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's see if your audience has all the time in the world. So I was born in Ohio, um, and then. I moved to uh, Hong Kong in 1997 because uh, that's when Handover was back to China. So my mom uh, and my dad flew us back to Hong Kong to get a uh, Hong Kong ID and all that stuff. And all this other all, like we just ha- we just flew back for Handover, basically. And then I left uh, Hong Kong to Singapore in 2000s, like two, the year 2000, yeah, uh, Y2K. If you remember that, um, and then, do. uh, 2008, uh, I went to Beijing for a year. I, and then after that, I flew to, uh, New York where I went to school and then, and then that's, that's kind of like, that's the timeline. Um, so here's, here's the family part. So my dad is a, is a, is a triad member. Okay yeah from in hong kong uh, he in was in hong kong yeah um, or his he has Or still a is <laughs> who knows um he had a background with uh near that let's say community um so his parents sent my parents to the us to kind of like get him away from that kind of thing um and then when there was like a lot there's like a lot of wild stuff that happened in the us with my dad too um nothing illegal just like action movie stuff. Um, my dad loves Wolverine. Action movie
1: stuff. What happens? Yeah. It's
0: very funny. Um, it's very dramatic, but my, my dad loves Wolverine and he's the type of guy who's like, uh, he's, a he has all the, he, uh, you know how like there are those kind of big altars with like the, the gods, the Chinese gods, like the statues. Um, my dad would have like 20 statues like he he would have a massive altar and like have like 20 oranges and like um and it would all be like the the war god or whatever um and and he always like kind of like he wants to be like wolverine or like the guy on the streets like you know that kind of thing um and then in 97 we moved back to hong kong and he immediately like went back to his friends so that's why my mom in 2000 was like maybe this isn't a good environment to raise a kid in. So then uh, my mom just like left with me to, to, to Singapore. Like she called me one day and was like, uh, Hey, can you, can you pack just like a bag of your favorite toys? And I was like, sure. And then I packed it and (laughs) downstairs (laughs) and then got on a plane. And then I landed in Singapore and I was like, Hey mom, uh, when's dad coming? And she's like, he's, he's going to be coming like a little later. And then eventually, like, I just figured out, you know, like, he's just never going to come. <laughs> so, so then I, I, I realized what happened. Um, and then the what got me... Uh, so it, actually in Singapore, that's when I first played, really played Magic. Uh, my dad actually bought me a Magic deck in Hong Kong. Um, it was Three Kingdoms because he saw the Three Kingdoms art and was like, yeah. oh, that's tough. You know, like, he, he loves that stuff. So he bought me this... Uh, magic intro deck or whatever the starter deck for for three kingdoms i remember i opened it and has it has a paid the only thing i remember i didn't remember any of the cards i looked at the card and like this is dumb i remember the the piece of paper that it came with had like a it was like a little paper play mat and it had these little like places where you're supposed to indicate where you are in 20 life and i was like this is the cool thing those cards are lame i like this paper and i will like play with the paper and my toys um and then and then never thought about magic didn't even know what it was he didn't even know what it was he just saw the art for three kingdoms and thought it was the toughest thing in the world um but in singapore that's when i really started playing magic um and then i moved moved to beijing where there's a lot less magic um and eventually got back into magic in, in new york
1: that's awesome so your mom and dad like when your mom met your dad did she she must have already known of his his past and and family history so was it just something that she willingly got into as a relationship or how yeah. did that work dynamically?
0: Yeah. So, uh, she, she would tell me like, obviously told- she
1: changed her mind, I guess in Hong Kong later, but that was, yeah. that was much later. Yeah. I think when she was
0: younger, she was falling for like the, you know, the, the bad boy and she's gonna, you know, make him good. Uh, that kind of like fantasy where like you can fix them. Um, but then you know he he is who he is, and and I think him being my mom did help a lot of things. But there's also a lot of a lot of, uh, a lot to him that that you can't just have someone you know, fix or whatever, right, or or alter. Uh, to to set kind of like the stage of of the tragedy of my father, um, it's very dramatic. So my dad uh, is kind of important in my dad's side of the family because he's the first son's, first son's, first son's, first you know, that kind of thing. Um, he's the first sons of the first sons, right? Um, technically I am too. So he, uh, uh, his parents, my grandparents eventually had my uncle. So his younger brother, but, um, my great great grandfather, no, my grandfather left my grandmother. Uh, cause he just found a younger woman. So my grandmother couldn't afford raising both, both brother, both sons. So what she did was she gave my, my dad to my great grandparents to raise while she raised, uh, my uncle. So that whole experience just kind of like, I think made it very difficult for him to grow up as a child, you know, like thinking your parents don't want you. And oh, 200%. Right.
1: So, so it like, it kind of all makes sense, um, that, that impacts shapes you as a person forever. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, forever, like into the next life, if there is such a thing, like,
0: yes. So, so my dad, so my mom, you know, of course knows all of this background. So she's like, you know, he, he is actually just misunderstood. And the thing about my dad is that's really interesting, um, is when my dad has an aura, he's like, uh, he's like this massive Chinese guy with ta- dragon and tiger tattoos. If you imagine what a gangster looks like, that's him. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. He's this massive, tall Chinese guy. And I don't know if you've ever been to Hong Kong, um, but Hong I Kong have, is yes. usually packed. Like the streets are packed, right? If you go to Mong Kok, all packed. When I used to travel with my dad, The people in front of him would part ways for him. Like they don't even know what he looks like. They can feel his energy because he's just aura, right? As you said. Yeah. Like, yeah. It it sounds weird, I guess, for people who don't might not believe in it or like don't have an experience it, but some people just have an innate like presence that even if you don't look at them, you know that this person, you know, I guess is of significance or something like that, right? Or imposing in a way. So my dad you know, some, a lot of times is this very like imposing, towering, like, you know, terrifying man. But then he's also like the most respectful, like, I guess, I don't know how to explain it. Like uh, he's like a traditional Chinese guy where he's like calls everyone, um, by like titles and stuff like that. Um, and just treats everyone really well, but he, he, he switches, like he will sometimes then be like the worst guy ever. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, That's always been his kind of like duality and my mom knows all of this so she tries to like keep him on one side and not the other. Um, And she would tell me these like really cute stories where like, uh, when they were dating, he would wait for her outside every single day uh, at school and he would have this French bulldog with him so so he would just wait there looking like, you know, really fancy, like button shirt, but like kind of open with like a French bulldog and a nice car behind him. And then as she's leaving school every day, you know, everyone knows that's Joe. You don't mess with Joe. And like, this is, and she's Joe's girlfriend. So you don't mess with her either. Um,
1: Yeah. There's a kind of, I can imagine there's a kind of old schoolness or like traditional Uh aspect to your dad that is also very Attractive because I think the the complexity or the of just human beings in general is that we we're all like have different aspects of ourselves and so like there's one side of him that can be menacing but there's also another side that can be really uh, I assume it's like if you're in his circle then you're in the circle then you get loyalty then you have like reciprocation or like there's there's a lot of good that comes with it as well so I I, it sounds that's what it sounds like to me and maybe I'm projecting but I, I know in Asian society, there are like, or not, it's just in society. People are complicated, right? So yeah. it's, it's, you can't just say this person is X because obviously we're all like more than just X, right? X and Y and Z. So yeah, he is definitely like
0: kind of the, the best and worst friend to have because he's always got your back, you know, that kind of thing. But also sometimes like you'll never know, you know, which side of him you're getting. So i think that also i've so the thing with like my dad is i've never really seen that part as like his child so like i know of it i've seen him do it to other people but it i never was raised in a situation where he would like you know hit me or whatever or like yell at me he was never that guy um he actually kind of caught if you can tell with all the stuff in my background i have a lot of stuff um it's because he used to buy me basically a toy a day like Mm. maybe a toy every couple days but it was it was a lot it was too much um and my and my mom she told me actually she doesn't know if i ever realized like if i ever actually appreciate those things i think he liked it more than i did um but he like that's the kind of guy he is he just like took really in his way took really good care of me and like showed showed me as much love as he could in his in his own you know way of doing so. Yeah, we all have our own vocabulary, right? right? As a parent yeah. or as a person.
1: Yeah.
0: Um but I think get for my mom when we went back to Hong Kong and she saw who, you know, he's hanging out with again, she was like what if one day he wrongs a wrong, he wrongs a wrong, wrong person and then that person comes to our house, you know? Uh, and and does bad things. Which has happened once in the US and I and all of us survived, which is cool. So Yeah. She just decided that it's best we all went to, went to Singapore.
1: Tell me about your mom. What was she like, or what is she like? My mom, um,
0: she is the most capable, uh, cool. Okay. Actually. Okay. How do I describe this? So she used to be, um, the, the manager of, uh, a news network in all of Asia um for 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 that for that company like she wasn't like very high up there but it's like a western company so it's not like you know she owns the whole thing but for Asia, all of asia she would run all of it um so very intelligent very capable um but also very chill like kind of funny i guess um i guess she's kind of funny but like i remember uh when i was in high school i asked my mom hey mom if i came home and you caught me, like, if you caught me doing drugs at home, what would you do? I just want to just stir the pot, you know? And my mom went, <laughs> my mom goes, well, what kind? I'm like, what do you mean? What kind? She goes, are you talking about weed? Or are you talking about like crack? Like it's different. I'm like, what do you mean it's different? She's like, everyone does weed, but like crack, you, know, you don't want, you don't want to do, you don't want to do crack that she'll fuck you up. <laughs> uh, so, so, so my mom was definitely like, you know, you know very chill. Um very progressive in that way. She never, she also was never really the type to like, uh, really push me on my studies too much. Um, even though she gave me a lot of puzzles in the past, um, she just kind of let me do what I want to do. Um, like she always knew I was going to, I, so I, I went to school for graphic design and also in high school, I did art, a lot of art. So she always knew I was going to be like an artist in in some sort of creative person. Cause I used to draw all the time as a child too. So she's like, that's, that's rebel rebels never, you know, never going to be a doctor. She tried, she tried when I was like, I uh, I was four, I think. My mom has a uh, has was born a heart murmur. So she she went, son, you know, your mother has a heart condition, and you could save her if you became a doctor, right? (laughs) And I was like, and I was like, no, I don't All like. All right, that. let me make this my life's journey. Yeah. So I'm not gonna be a doctor. Someone else can do it. <laughs> and and she knew, she knew it was never gonna work. Um, but yeah, she's she's very chill, um, very confident, very capable. Uh, I don't know how else to describe her. She's also oh, very stubborn too, super stubborn. Um, so like so stubborn to the point where I used to live with my step, I have a stepdad, um, they were together for like the entire time I was in Singapore and a little bit more. And they were, they were both so stubborn that at the end of their relationship, they live in the same house together, but didn't speak to each other for a whole year.
1: A whole year, literally a whole for year. a whole year.
0: Literally, literally a whole year. Don't talk like not a single word to each other. And, and they I can't even I,
1: speak to someone for, I can't even not speak to someone for more than a day. Like, like that's, would, that's just my, yeah, I can't imagine. You, you would think that eventually you just, you would just be like, all right, this is a waste of time. You know, like you
0: tell them like, this is a waste of time, get out of my house, right? Like, no, no, they, my mom is yeah. so stubborn. She will, you know, be like that. So, so I guess like take that as you will, like, you know, I guess stubbornness also helps her, you know, get the things she wants or like she has a way, and she'll make sure that way is 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 like executed. So it might be a, a good kind of like leadership mm-hmm. skill. I don't know
1: quality. I think there's also something that like I hate to generalize, but maybe Western folks don't really know as much, which is like the concept of face. Right? It's like you know oh, yeah. being proud and representing yourself in a certain way. Uh, I think your mom may also decided to not kick the person out of the house because of face, because of like wanting to uphold certain certain standards for herself and for her her family, right? And how others perceive the family. So uh, maybe tell me a bit about how like the concept of face has impacted you as well. Like just kind of maybe like what aspects of it do you, have you observed from your parents on, on both sides? So face
0: is a really interesting subject because I haven't thought about face, the concept of face in a really long time. But but now that you bring it up- I'm waiting do... for your
1: face and magic essay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't I... thought about this for, for a decade, honestly, before you, you talked about your, your family. Oh, right? So I'm sorry for bringing this up. Yeah. No, it's
0: okay. It's interesting. I think uh, face does materialize itself now that I'm, I'm having my thoughts and like connecting with all the other things. Um, so I, I do think, sometimes I do think about face internally when, when, um, I'm thinking about, or I'm observing other, like, I guess, uh, Chinese people, like that I know of, um, cause it's very, it's also a really interesting experience being like, uh, Asian American, because there's so many different gradations of Asian American, right? Like Sinestra and I are totally different Asian Americans. He's born and raised in, in Boston. Uh, yeah, he's born in Boston. Yeah. And then, and then he went to LA and I think he's back to Boston now. Nope. He's in Virginia. I'm just doxing where he lives now. It's fine. Um, <laughs> everybody knows everything else in So it's okay. Um, like, but he, he's born and raised, right. Um, and I, I don't think he has that strong of connections to his family beyond like the ones in, in the U S while technically I was born and raised in the, in, in the U S But I do, I I did spend like, I think, uh, 13 years in Asia where I would fly back to see my family, you know, every, every, basically every holiday, every break, you know, like I would go back four or five times a year from Singapore, also lived in Hong Kong for three years. So, so then me coming to the U.S., even though I'm technically Asian American, my, the way I experience like the, the, my, my Asian American experience is totally different where we were actually talking about, uh, Killian, Do you know, Killian from Strixhaven. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about Killian? Just, just being like representative or Yeah. So when Killian was first released, um, there were a lot of people who didn't like the portrayal of Killian because Killian's whole thing is that his father's disapproving of him. Um, like. Uh, I, me- I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And like, so, so. I was talking with Sinestra about this because Sinestra was also very like uh passionate about this as well. He he really liked Killian, you know, for for he was Killian's pretty big time, I think, in magic because there aren't that many like I in, in Western media until like very recently, Asian men, you have almost no representation or, or like there there isn't that many aside from like, you know, Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, you know, like the martial artist. Um, and usually they, they never let the martial, the Asian martial artist be like the guy, right? It's always kind of like the, the guy who helps, you know, the main character, or he's kind of funny and wacky. The sidekick, basically like the, 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 or whoever, you know, um, you could argue that he wasn't a sidekick. He was, but, but you kind of get the idea. They're never really in the center. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and in magic, finally, you have Killian who sort of is in the center. Like you don't have... Uh, character like that looks like Killian in Magic for like a long time. Um, we had Kamigawa, of, of course, but like I think there's something about Killian that that a lot of Asian Americans saw and was like, "Fucking finally, you know, like me in Magic." But then, it's about time. but then, yeah, but then you realize, God damn it, he has the same trope that every Asian, like, you know, uh, character has the disapproving parents and they have to work hard and, and like, you know, study really hard, but they're never able to connect with the parents. And, and Sinatra was very disappointed over it while I was like, what's wrong with it? I don't get it. And then he Mm. had to explain to me, like, this was my experience growing up in in the States here with my parents. And it's very similar to what I have. And I don't, I want to, I want to see, you know, like I, I don't know if it's exactly his perspective, but like he wants to see something different, right? He doesn't want to see exactly his own experience replicated, you know. In this, in this. But what's game. wrong with
1: the trope if it's relatable? That's the question.
0: So I think that's two sides of the coin, right? Like I think some people might find it relatable. Some people might be so, you know, uh, have have such a strong experience from it at in this mm. escape for like this hobby for them, they don't want to see that again, right? They don't, they, they want to see something else. They want to see maybe like like, not
1: in my hobby or not in my fantasy world. Yeah. Maybe they want to see
0: a Killian, you know, who actually has just parents who love him and he does well. Right. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you experience that at home, you might not want to see it again in, in a game. But for me, like my, my background was completely different. And I guess like, uh, I think just our experiences are totally different. So, so I guess to bring it back to the whole face thing, the only times I ever think of face is when I kind of think about these kind of subjects. Is like sometimes I find I also think a lot about like what is Asian American identity because um, my my Asian identity is is very different from I think a lot of other Asian American identity where like uh, this sounds really dumb i really love boba but i think like sometimes i see people who like really like love boba and kind of make it their identity and in my mind i think like you have like all this history and all this culture like you come from like this like this rich kind of culture and why are you making this dumb drink your you know your 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 identity right Like the symbol of the culture in a way right yeah and and the thing is my lack the the context i'm lacking is that you are born in another country right you don't have that connection like all the other stuff back there doesn't mean anything yeah you're 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 raised here and you're an american this is the book like boba tea is your culture like it literally is because you you let's say you never go back or you go back once or twice a year what, what does that matter to you? Right. Well, I'm di- like, you know, I went back there I visit there a lot. So my connection, there's a lot different than someone else over there. So, so when I think about face, it's like, you know, like the, the, there's a, there's an element of like, to me, I feel like is a little bit of losing face when, when you're not like so uh, representative of this like culture, but at the same time, I don't think it's very fair because you don't even know, like, that's not, that's not really your culture. Someone can tell you that you, you come from a, uh, a, a culture of warriors or whatever, but you've, you've never experienced it. Why does
1: it matter to you? You're, you're born and raised in Texas, you know, this is so relatable right now. Um, I hate to make the interviews about myself, but I will just tell you real quick cause you, you may not know, like I was born in Taiwan. Uh, mm-hmm. our family immigrated to Canada. I grew up, uh, Maybe similar in terms of my parents didn't actually push us, my brother and I, to do super well academically. So the whole trope of the like overbearing tiger parent just never applied to me. Even though I saw that with people, friends around me, right? Um, they, my parents never even forced us to uh, to go to Chinese school or like do like extra tutoring for <laughs> yeah. math class. They always just told us, "You're just good enough. You're good enough. Just keep doing what you're doing." Uh, they would limit our video games to be like you can only play on weekends but we would just like cram the shit out of like video games on the weekends so it was totally fine and sometimes we would just like play sneakily during weekdays as long as they were not they didn't see us whatever right uh, <laughs> uh, as kids you learn how to break the rules um but I also feel a bit of that too it's like okay I'm I'm from Taiwan I grew up in Canada now I live in mainland China so I know for sure there is no like uniform Asian experience. In fact, I I have this weird thing now where it's like I'm almost like the token guy that people my friends that are in North America will be like, Hey, did you hear this thing about like Xi Jinping in China? Like what do you think about this? What do you think about crypto in China? I'm like, I'm supposed to be the spokesperson for yeah. like mainland China, even though I'm not from here. And then it's like also this weird stuff where it's like, you know, you live in China and then no one can because I look like this, no one can ever accept that you're just Canadian inside and i always have to be like oh yeah i'm from taiwan and my grandparents are from jiangsu because like they need to know that you're from asia so yeah that that's a whole another podcast but it's like i feel that so much it's like there is no such thing as asian anymore it's like and you're from hong kong uh you, you grew up in ohio you you spent a lot of time in hong kong you spent a lot of time in singapore so like sure you're chinese but like the thing between hong kong and taiwan and china is also like super complicated and it's like nobody wants to get like a 5 hour video essay from me on that so it's like how do you like break that down to somebody in in like 256 characters or whatever it's like it's impossible like how how like like we're not all the same, but it's like, and let's not even talk about like Southeast Asia and Malaysia and Indonesia. It's like, but people don't know that stuff. It's like to the West, it's all just like one homogenous blob because that's how they see themselves. And I'm not saying it's like malicious, but there's like, there's just a bias there that it's very difficult to explain. Right.
0: I had a, I had a, this is, I'm you sorry, have,
1: I rambled way too oh, much. No, yeah, no, it's sorry. good.
0: We maybe we should have another another session on just uh, Asian American identity because we can go so deep on this. But I, I honestly, that could just be
1: a serial podcast. Yeah. yeah so,
0: <laughs> uh, I used to be a coworker. She's also uh, her parents are from Hong Kong, and back when um, the protests were happening with like the the student uh, movement, um, my mom, born and raised in Hong Kong, was on the the opposite side, was not on the the student side. She was on the perspective of like, well, you know, uh, unfortunately China is the thing that supports Hong Kong now. So even though it is disappointing that you're losing um, freedoms or things like that, it is just the, it is just what it is. You are, you are a city in China and eventually we all, like we're all Chinese. We all will follow, we should all follow the same thing, which is, interesting because she's born and raised in hong kong and i was talking to my co-worker and she was like like oh my parents only like you know my, my parents are supporting the students and and it's just like it's just it's just even in that like that small like ecosystem there's so much variation right yeah. um so so maybe to bring it back to like the, the face thing um i, I remember uh, i was telling sinestra one day uh, i was like hey Semester, don't forget today is a mid autumn festival so go go get like uh, your mooncakes and he was like oh I, I i don't i forgot like i didn't even know like that like my, my parents don't really celebrate that and and my mom used to like she would text me and be like you didn't you didn't wish me happy mid autumn festival and and then she would call me and be like this is your culture you you're chinese you can't forget this stuff. Um, so, so I think when it comes to like identity and face, like I'm held to that standard, and I also have that connection. And when I want to see other people not having that connection, like I'm thinking, like my mom is like, you should remember that that's been a festival.
1: But Sinatra probably is like,
0: he never celebrated that. It's, it's not a thing mm-hmm.
1: in here, you know. Mm-hmm. It's so funny too because my family is not that traditional either. So when I was in Canada. They just didn't celebrate that stuff. It was only the last ten years that I'm in mainland China. Now my wife reminds me, like, okay, it's Mid Autumn Festival. You should do this red envelope for, you know, your niece and all this stuff. And I'm totally into it. Like, I'm not, I'm not begrudging it. But it's just like I, I just became this sort of like late bloomer Asian where now I'm like more traditional and mm-hmm. I actually care about the mooncakes. But when I was in, I, I think about this a lot. It's like in a different timeline where I didn't move to mainland China, I'd just be a totally different person. And it's just like. It's wild sometimes just thinking about that. Uh, it, it's just so much of it is just circumstance. I, I don't know. There, there's no question here. It's just, just a random observation. So,
0: yeah, I try to latch on to like the little bits of little fragments of it um, in New York City where for Mid on festival, that's one of the like the few like holidays I really like celebrate. Like I will when I was uh, when I was out in L.A. filming um, for game nights, actually. Uh, they have us posted in like a really Asian, uh, like a, kind of like this hotel that's near Asian community. Um, and across from my hotel is a little bakery and I saw they had mooncakes. I was like, yeah, let's go. And I went in there and made sure I got all my mooncakes so then I can celebrate it properly and stuff like that. So,
1: yeah. 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 So tell me how you got into content like you know you, you sort of mentioned like you you've been playing magic and you you learned magic and you got into modern but like how how was, what was the initial step into actually because i think a part of the question is like getting into content requires being like more public about yourself so i'm curious like have you always been a public person like how did what how did you make that it's almost like a mindset transition so tell me about that so What's really funny is, uh, for content creation, I never
0: considered it. Like, uh, even, so I started the, I think my first endeavor in content was on an Instagram. And some of my like older followers would, would know, um, I don't like using the word followers. just feels so like icky, but like people people who know me from a long (laughs) time ago would remember, like I used to be really active on Instagram and that's because I like taking pictures. I like making things so i thought like it's kind of fun you know like put on instagram and let people look at it and and i'm uh and had all this type of content on there but i never really thought of myself as a content creator i was just like i'm just making things you know i i i do graphic des- like i do some graphic design and i i did i can make some videos and i can take pictures so like you know let's see what happens um and i always thought to myself that I'll never be a youtuber a youtuber like so much effort like there's so much time you have to put into it to make this content you have to edit you have to get you know all this and then put it make sure you look nice and have a camera all yada yada um and then eventually uh on instagram i started making these one minute long cdh games um because instagram has a one minute video limit for how long a video can be so i was thinking I wonder if there's a way I could portray a whole game in a minute. So each video was, it was a minute long and there's no words. It's just, you see cards tapping and moving and stuff like that. And people loved it because you can actually see how the game was being played and the game would end in a minute. Um, but that would take me like five hours, just very carefully untapping, tapping every little thing, designing the whole thing. Um, then eventually I was like, I'm going to spend all this time making that. Maybe.
1: Like I can make a YouTube video, um, but what, oh, hold uh, up, hold up. Um, what made you even want to do those one minute videos? There must be some motivation there because you went from just documenting your life to doing something that's quite orchestrated, right? Like five hours to make a minute of video. So, so what was the, like, what was, was there some kind of inner push that my, I
0: don't know if you can tell my push for most things is me, think seeing something that seems difficult or there's a puzzle there and I want to, I don't want to see if I could do it. Um, and that's, that's always been kind of like the, the, the driving force of everything I do. Like, can I play a good maker? Let's see if we can do that. Can, can you actually do a, a minute, like a portray a gate, a whole commander game in a minute? No idea. I never, I never really made a, a gameplay video before. I don't already watch that many gameplay videos before, but I have some design skills and I have like my software. So let's see what happens. And and that's kind of it. Like there wasn't it wasn't really thinking about like I mean there's a, at at that at that time I was also helping my friend Alan with with his Instagram account too. So I'll make I'll, I'll write all these jokes and design all these things. I'll be like, oh this is a cool idea you should do that. But I never thought of myself a content creator and then um I just I just thought like no one gets to see games on Instagram. Like it's just not a platform for it. And I just wanted to know. And I did it and it was cool. So I kept doing it. And then, um, even at that point, it it wasn't like a switch to like, oh, I'm going to go make content. There was like another thing that eventually pushed me there, but that's kind of the beginnings of.
1: It's like a self-challenge. It's an internal challenge for yourself. Like, uh, can I break this or can I like create this new paradigm? It sounds like. Yeah,
0: exactly that's, that's everything. Everything I do is always about challenging something and, and seeing if I can, I can do something that's very difficult.
1: (laughs) So tell me how you go from the, the one minute videos. And obviously there's a lot of good reactions or feedback to it from the people who watched it, but how do you go deeper into content from that point on?
0: So, uh, i started playing at that time i was playing more CDH online because at that at that point it was like during the pandemic when everyone everyone's locked down so so i was playing this before a spell table we were playing on this i don't remember what the this thing was called uh but like you know online uh in a zoom kind of like conference call things we were playing um and i was making a little bit of content because i was like well if i'm at that point, so connected to the community and like starting to learn the meta better and starting to learn all this stuff better. Maybe people will want to like, actually want to consume that content. Right. So I would, I would write like kind of monthly CDH trends, just like very simple slideshows of like, this is why I noticed this happening and stuff like that. Um, and I kept, I kept just thinking about like, would people be interested in this? It, It wasn't, it's, it's weird because I'm making content for people to consume and, obvi- and obviously like getting engagement is a good thing. But at that point, I still wasn't thinking of myself as the content creator. It was just more like, I have this knowledge and I have this design skill. So let's, let's see what happens, right? Let's just let's just keep making things and, and see what happens. I still didn't really consider, I just consider myself as an like individual and not like a content creator. Um, and the first YouTube video I made was actually, I don't, I don't remember specifically why I wanted to make the YouTube video, but this was when I was hanging out with Sinestra a lot more. And, um, he made this variation of a, of, of, a very good CDH deck called Blue Farm, which our friend River May Cry, this Finnish guy made, there's a whole epic there. Sinestra made a variation of it called Freeze Thief. And it's very funny because it's like five or six cards different. Very different deck. Um, it's like a vintage deck. You change two cards, and it's like a brew, right? Whole, whole different, whole different archetype. So he made Freeze Thief, and I just decided, like, again, like, like uh, the one minute gameplay thing. I was thinking, you know what? This this deck is really good. I want to challenge myself to be a better player. I'm going to try this deck out, and I've never seen a, a, a video where the person who made the deck is coaching me in a game. Um, so, so this is, this is the idea of the content it's called. It's my very first video. You can still find it. It's two or two and a half hours long. It's, uh, it's called spiky spirit guides. And the, the concept is that I am with the brewer of, or the expert of the deck playing that deck at its absolute worst nightmare scenario which is to balance out the the me having a coach behind me, me play against three very good players on uh, these decks, that, making a pot that oh, so it was a like
1: real like your back is against the wall and you're yes. against all odds, if you will. And and like, because you have a coach to somehow mitigate that. Yeah. Or so it was
0: there with me and we would uh, we would like kind of like play together. We would talk together a little bit and like try and you know, get ourselves out of that game or like win that game. Right. Um, and that, that video originally was like four hours long because the game itself was three hours <laughs> and, and I edited it down in two and a half and, and kind of like the one minute thing. It wasn't so much that I wanted to make like a gameplay video. It's just, I haven't seen something like this before. So I want to see what happens. Um, Cause I know at the time at see C- for, for CDH, the community is so small. It still is like small, but it's a lot larger now. And the, the content consumption is just like very low, just unless if you are you know, play to win, playing a power, other very established channels, like lab maniacs, the, uh, your ability to like really do well in that space, I think is, is very difficult back in the day. So there was no aspiration to be like this is going to jumpstart my my content creation career. It was really just like I have Sinestra. We're kind of funny. Let's play together, learn to show people what this deck is about and show it at its absolute worst nightmare position with really good players. And afterwards, we talk about it together and, and learn and, and let me and the audience learn about the deck and learn from that game. Um, and that 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 video is actually really special to me because uh, when I made that video and I posted it, uh, all these people jumped into uh, Discord and we had a live watch session together. People sat down for two and a something hours and we watched the whole video together start to finish, which is just like asking people to watch something for 10 minutes is, is already a lot. They sat through almost a Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> and, and, and... It was such a good time because we're all sitting there like laughing, like, oh, look, here's Brayden playing the thing and, and whatever. So it was like very, it was like a really good time, um, making that video and watching it. Um, but that was the first YouTube video. And I think after how that was received, it wasn't like super well received in terms of metrics, but like in, in my community, it was very well received. Right. So I was like, all right, what's the, what's the next video I can make? Um, and then, and then it, it kept going from there where I started, make, um, I made all these really weird videos. I don't know if you ever looked at like my earlier work, like my, my videos are generally very weird, but my earliest videos were like super weird. Like for example, um, I did a tournament. Um, my, I guess, I think my first proper piece of content was my tournament report. So I played in a tournament, I top 16, um, with my, my pet deck. Um, and the introduction of that of that video, uh, was me going like this. It was, uh, uh, wait, 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 what was it? It was, it was basically me calling, uh, Sheldon and saying, and okay, actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember what, what I did. There's one video. Okay. I remember what this is now. We can cut all that stuff, (laughs) but, this video was opposition agent came out and opposition agent basically kind of kills my deck. My deck is Sissé with Giganta and it activates say to find a legendary. So with the printing of opposition agent, you can imagine, oh no, Sissé is dead. So, so, uh, I would, in the, in that video, I would call, call Sheldon, call Sheldon with my phone and be like, Hey, Sheldon, um, there's opposition agent and then and and uh it would immediately cut to wait what my deck's bad my deck wasn't that good in the first place i think that card's legal and then and then i would like then try to call gavin and stuff like that so it's like very like weird um it's very skits skit skit yeah if that's because i I also really like snl and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. uh then after that video, uh, Shivam really likes this video. So Shivam Bhatt um, saw this video where within the same spoiler season, maybe a couple days afterwards, they printed Jeweled Lotus. Um, and and uh, Jewel Lotus that, yeah. changes everything because Jewel Lotus, you know, it was a free ritual for three and Sissay's three mana, right? So that that even though there's a printing opposition agent, I also get a little faster. So I made a, uh, a black and white uh, video where I'm mourning you know, my deck in French. I don't even speak French. I use Google translate to like, you know, do all that. I was speaking bad French with like, it's black and white with like the yellow <laughs> subtitles or the black outlines. Um, and, and it's the, the video is called the, the Jewel Lotus, I think. Um, and that was it. Yeah. Even that uh, sounds like a foreign movie, like the title of a foreign film or something. Yeah. yeah. So I, in my earlier work, it was all like stuff like that. Just like just me responding to something in the CDH community that I thought would bring a lot of joy to people. Cause this is funny, you know, it's just, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's not necessarily like the most competitive, like content out there, but I just thought like for CDH back in the day, there just wasn't that much content like this. I didn't see my community that I interact with on discord and online just being reflected out there. Our jokes aren't out there, you know? So, so why not just make those videos, right? Like. To me, my jokes at the time were like, this is only funny to five people, but those five people are going to love it. And that's what I wanted to do. I don't want to make the stuff that, um, you know, like more people would enjoy. I really wanted to make the thing that like my friends would really like. And and that's kind of what got me further into content creation.
1: Because it's, uh, it's just a space for experimentation, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're just, um, I don't love this term, but kind of like just throwing stuff at the wall. And even if it doesn't stick, you sort of enjoy throwing it. So it's 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 fine, right? And it entertained uh, the five other friends that you have. And uh, I think that's what you're supposed to do. I feel like you're describing the purity of content creation, which is like in, in the beginning, you don't care. But then that's before all the evil metrics and all the stuff comes into play. And then now you do care because you you have a little bit more... Well, I shouldn't assume that. Maybe you. Maybe you're still very much like. Because I, I feel like you're still pushing a lot of the, uh, to use a lofty term like the avant avant of <laughs> uh content. Because like, when I look at your stuff now, even it's not always the same. It's not always like okay, rebel is in front of the camera speaking for ten seconds, and we go into the same intro and the same pan of the the shot. In fact, like with some of the recent stuff you're doing, you're really like pushing the boundaries. But I think it's also really cool because in a way, you sort of developed a brand about yourself, which is like, expect the unexpected. So yeah. it's like, people are not coming to your stuff expecting exactly the same thing, like nothing against some of those channels like game nights, mm-hmm. but they have a very established formula and they know it works to the nth degree. And they're just, they're just like, next week, that video is going to be exactly like the one that you watched the week before. And that's totally fine. I'm not... And I'm also... Not saying that they don't innovate, like I they're always tweaking things, but I think I think their main framework is kind of there, whereas you're a, just always like a new adventure kind of thing, so
0: yeah, they have the the mastery of of their craft, right their innovation is like when you're where you're very good at a deck you're you're tweaking the like the the little you know you're the, squeezing
1: an extra one percent out of mm-hmm. it every week,
0: yeah exactly yeah. while while the way I am currently creating content, it's just a different thing, right? Like I am, I'm definitely not anywhere near the, the skill in, in a lot of things, like compared to game nights. Right. But, but that also gives me the, the space to just do whatever I want. And I think that is like something I've always wanted to tell other content creators, uh, a lot. It's like the the metric part, you know, the numbers and, and, you know, once you get a little bit more successful, I mean, like I only have 4,000 subscribers on YouTube, so it's not like successful. Right. Um, I think the, once you start embarking on this journey of being content, this is for you too. It's like, uh, it's just recognizing like how defeated, like it's, it's very valid to chase that high of of uh, wanting bigger numbers right um it's it's very valid to to look at other people and see like oh they're doing really well i should do that thing or 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 feel down when your content isn't performing well and you're like why doesn't why didn't do that well you know like i put a lot of effort into this why isn't this um i think it's it's just important to recognize like all that stuff is very valid feelings and very valid fears. But you should always just also try to like, this sounds really cheesy, but like stay true to who you are and make content that you like. Right. Cause, cause content is like, a, it's an endurance game. Um, it's about staying consistent and it's about finding ways that you can stay most consistent without, uh, uh, burning yourself out. Um, because technically I can make two or three videos a week. But I also want to reserve a lot of spare time for myself, um, which is why I don't stream a lot. Um, is that that's just the rhythm that I'm comfortable with, and I'm uh, okay. With, I'm I'm happy accepting that I'm pro- my path to like getting more subscribers be slower, but I'll be more consistent, right? I'll be I'll my mental like my mental health will be better, and I can keep grinding. This this game because to me content creation is all about endurance. Um, if you like, if you put too much like on your plate, eventually you just burn out. Um, and and trying to catch up after like taking a break is so much harder than like to stay consistent.
1: Absolutely, and uh, I mean fuck, man, I would kill to have four thousand subscribers on YouTube. Like I started forty days ago. I have just under two hundred, and I am just looking at my numbers, even though I'm like a small fry, the smallest of small fries and uh I have those same doubts too, like I did a vlog about you know quarantining with covid and it actually had more views than than like an interview video. I'm just like, do I have to pivot and uh talk about myself and do do other stuff and i I just don't know like I have. And I, I'm going to just tell you, even though I'm doing this podcast part-time, I've definitely felt burnout, not, not with YouTube specifically, but at certain parts of the, the year, it was just like, like I think you're touching on something which is really resonating with me, which is like, you got to find a way to make it like long-term and sustainable because um, when I'm doing this right now, I'm looking at you, we're having this, uh, I think it's a really nice conversation. I live for this shit, right? But it's all the other stuff, like editing and putting it together and like, you know, doing two shorts a week and like figuring out should I do a third one? I mean I'm doing this part time. It's not a living. But I love it so much. And it's just That's the I I have I have problems drawing boundaries because like I'm in the shower. I'm like, I wanna do this like other idea. I wanna do this feature. Like that's why I had episodes about like Ukrainian magic. And I know we have talked about like uh, EDH in china like can i do like a documentary series on that cuz it's very like on theme but it's just like where do i find the time and the energy like i'm already doing an episode a week so it's like and i'm doing youtube now which is not like uh for my standards not insignificant to have the the video aspect of it so like that's i have, so, I have so many problems drawing drawing boundaries is what i'm saying
0: and yeah. and i think a lot of people like that that is that is a totally natural like occurrence with content creation. Once you're in, in the grind, every spare moment is like, I could be making, I could be making a deck tech right now. I could be making a deck right now. Why am I not recording? If I recorded this and post this next week, maybe it's yeah. another couple more subscribers. Or if I'm
1: playing a video game, why am I not streaming it? Right? Yeah. Yes,
0: yes. Like every little mo- once you start kind of like. Turning every like you start making content, everything could be content, and it totally can't eat up your life. So, I think it's so important for you to like just accept like, you know what, this is what's right for me. Maybe two shorts is too much. We'll do one and we'll live with it. We'll live with the fact that we might not hit. I'm not saying you won't, but like we might not hit a thousand by end of the year, right? That's fine because you still you're still happy with what you're doing and you're you're still comfortable with like you know your life right i would imagine you know if you take the the harder route of really really grinding and spend like squeezing every moment to try and reach that success once you reach that stepping stone you might not even be ready to hit you know go to 2000 right like or the the next whatever hurdle is um and i know a lot of people are experiencing that and i have to tell them like you have to at a certain point you have to to kind of like make that call, how important is content creation to you? Is this do you really want it to be a job? Because if you do, you have to treat it like your job. You have to create boundaries and a set time to be like, I stop working. Right. Content is my work. I'm done filming my video. I'm going to go play a game. I'm not going to record that shit. I'm just going to play for the sake of it. And I'm going to keep recording tomorrow once I get it right. There's it's like it's like a, it's like a startup business and and A lot of what I do for my content, uh, the strategy I use in it is is also like very, it's a lot from a lot of my experience working with startups as like a designer or UX designer or whatever, right? Um, is that as a startup, you're wearing all the hats. Right? You're the editor, you're the interviewer, you're the you're all you're the producer, right? You're you're finding the people, coordinating your time, you're doing everything, right? And and in the beginning the first year of any startup, it's maybe the first couple of years, it's gonna be the worst because you're it's just basically a very strapped team trying to do everything and it's gonna eat everything from you, but it should be very satisfying because that's the thing you wanted to do. This is the job you wanted, and this is the thing you want to create, right? Um But the thankfully this isn't your job. This is just content. This is a thing you're supposed to be doing for to enjoy yourself. So, if you you know understand that and accept that, you're like you know what, we could take it a little easier. Maybe we don't have to do like three streams a week. Maybe two was fine and, and have a have a nice day off. But if you do want it to be your job, then you also need to create that like very strict like boundaries. Which I have that with like uh, Alan knows I have a very like strict schedule. Which is this is Alan of the mental misplay. Yeah, because because he he's always trying to get me on to like go on a stream. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to go on that stream because I told you I'm not I don't go on streams on Fridays. That's my thing. That's that's a lot of my days off. So like I'm I'm very, very strict with like if I if I spend X like two day, I generally spend like two or three evenings, um, an hour or two uh, working on content and all the other time is no content at all Um, because that, that, that's just my my schedule. Uh, God. just, so you got like content day or content evening. Yeah. So if I, if let's say today, today is content day, right? We're having an interview. So I, I knew Thursday is going to be my content day. So I'm probably just going to not do content for the other days. I did something like I edited a video, but like I left three other days open and it, it flexes. It's just, I'm very, very rigid about how much time I spend on my content. Cause I know this works for me. What was your process for figuring that out? Um, my process was just realizing, like, uh, at some point it was just impacting every part of my life, um, that I was just constantly editing, constantly, like, thinking about new ideas, constantly just doing stuff that I never had any downtime. Um, and I was also streaming a lot more because, because this was back when, when I was a lot less well known. So there's also that drive to be, like, Oh, I want people to know who I am. I want to go on all the streams. I want to play. I want people to know I'm good at magic and blah, blah, blah. And if I, if I go on this stream, maybe this stream is going to be the stream that makes me the 5,000 subscriber, you know, like, um, that, yeah, that I got to take as many
1: shots as possible, exactly. et cetera. Right.
0: That, that little voice just keeps trying to get you to do stuff. And eventually I was just like, shit, <laughs> I don't want to do this like all the time. Uh, I just, uh, I figured, so this is the other, I think thing i tell people sometimes too i i would go to magic fest and people will now come up to me which is kind of a cool experience and it would be like oh i'm a lot of them are like i have a new channel and like what's what's your tip like to for a new content creator like me what's your advice basically what's your advice right yeah. and i would tell you tell them the same advice i told you which is you know the the, the making time for yourself um but also being realistic with with uh with how much time you're investing. Right. So that first video I made of, of Sinestra, it took me three months to make, cause I was literally cutting every single piece of dialogue, cutting all the ums, cutting all the space out, um, in after effects, as I told you earlier before this interview started, that's not where you're supposed to be doing that. <laughs> um, and I was like carefully making sure, trying to make sure every little thing was perfect. And the next couple videos were, you know, they were easier videos, but, but it was like that, that chase for, for, perfection, right? I want to make the absolute best piece of content ever, but I realized eventually if I want, like, I have to basically accept that, uh, I want a certain quality and I can't have perfection, um, if I want to have like a consistent, um, output and also have enough time for myself. So for example, my, like a lot of my videos now there, some, some of them are somewhat formulaic, like the deck text, um, the, what else do I do? I think deck text is the best example. Cause that follows a very, very, uh, like a, a, consistent structure. I have an intro, I have a deck list. Then I have the gold fishing to show what the deck does then the ending. Right. Um, and, and there's some editing involved, but the editing is by design, the format is simple for me to knock out within a week without, without spending too much effort. Um, and of course I could have spent a lot more time making everything better, but it, the trade-off is I might not, I might not be making content today. So, so that's just like, I think that's an important thing for a lot of content creators who, who do a lot of editing and stuff like that. It's just like accepting that you're never going to have perfection. So maybe just accept, like, find, find, find what quality you want and then like optimize your process to get to as close as an acceptable quality so you can keep making things and, and innovating on stuff that matters as opposed to like making sure every um is cut out of the dialogue right
1: yeah absolutely absolutely I, I i've 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 been sort of living what you're saying i i feel like there's a common trajectory for content creators like we all kind of go through variations of this i also want to go back to something that I talked to your friend Sinestra about, uh, or not going back, because I mean, it's not like... I'm I'm just saying, going back to... Because this is what Sinestra told me. I, I don't know the best way to ask this as a question, but just, just relating it to you, he said that you were originally very shy on the CEDH Discord. You didn't want to put your face on camera. You didn't want to reveal your voice. Like You wanted to type, mm-hmm. and then he was really surprised when you volunteered to do his brew versus meta, meta versus series. Beer, yeah. meta versus because he was just like, here's a person that I'm kind of like shooting the shit with on discord. And obviously is really into CEDH." but how do you go from that shy rebel to like, I'm now in front of the camera and I'm volunteering for, for projects. Like what, Was there some, what shifted for you? So this is a, I think a very,
0: I don't know how consistent of experiences this is, but has to do with like my trans identity, right? It has to do with my voice. So the first thing is like, if, if I introduce myself online as a she, as she, they, and then I, I go on the, the microphone, like, Hey, I'm rebel, you know, like there might, it might, it might be jarring. Um, and the, the very real fear that people are just going to not you know, be mean about my voice and stuff like that. I also actually have like a somewhat long history of being anx- anxious, of my voice. Even before I decided to transition, I just always thought my voice sounded like, people told me the way I talk is like a little sing-songy, a little like nasally, a little whatever, right? Um, and and I've just been always very self-conscious about my voice. So I just, I was just also transition, literally transitioning at that period when I was playing CDH that I just wasn't comfortable going on, on, uh, the microphone as comfortably as other people would be, cause I don't want them to hear the voice that I have. Um, cause I, at the time I was just practicing also like how to, how to feminize my voice or find the voice that, that I like and stuff like that. Um, so I just, it was just very difficult for me to like get on the microphone and do that. And then eventually, uh, do you know who Brayden is?
1: Uh, yeah, Braden is uh, someone in the MTG community. Is he? Yes. Does he does do stuff for SCG? Is yes, that, is he that does. He Brayden? used to. Yeah, he started off uh, doing
0: CDH content. We knew each other from a Magic Fest, uh, Command Magic Fest or Command Fest in New Jersey um, a long time ago, and he was just this guy who made a, a podcast along with uh, comedian MTG uh, Ian, Ian, who also does CDH, and. Uh, we were in the same service together, and now, I mean, now he's in—he's doing stuff for SEG, which is super cool. He's making their content there. Super, super, super excited for him. Um, but he was just like, I don't know, just like, do it. <laughs> like he's like, just, just hop. Like you're talking with me right now. Just get on the the microphone. Like I don't know, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? If someone's a dickhead, like I'll, I'll tell them to shut up. Like so. Braden, actually for this my whole like experience online is like so critical to, to me actually being like uh out there because he was the guy who was just like i don't know dude just do, just do it just do it just do it and and then um for meta versus brew this is like a i think a very consistent experience with a lot of other ch players when you have your pet deck you wanna make sure the world knows your pet deck is good, right? So when 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 someone is like, you know, when there's an opportunity to prove myself, not only did I top sixteen, now I need to make sure the people who saw me play the top sixteen deck can win against like whatever decks. Um, which is like again, that that, that need to prove myself of uh, finding something very difficult and being like, I could do it. Um so that's kinda like the two things colliding together. And then mm. making content, um, that way, uh, if you listen to me in, I mean, you don't have to, but the, the, if you went back to spiky spirit guides and listened to how I talk to, to now totally different. Like you can hear, like, there's absolutely no confidence in that voice. And I was so soft spoken. And then eventually I was just like, I found the, the, the voice I liked and it sounds even like my earlier videos I was talking about I sound totally different from from what I sound like now actually cuz now my voice went back to deeper uh before it was like a lot higher I think in like around here but I just I just got a lot more comfortable talking
1: here and this is just the voice I'm used to so i'm just more how confident. hard is it to, is it to train your voice i I, I've, I i mean i've heard about people going through it but it it seems like like impossible to me because i never tried it's
0: I don't think I've like nailed it yet uh and I've actually thought about going to a voice like coach to like improve that but there's one um something I also really wanted to do as part of my earlier content was there's like very few trans people like in magic content right um and the the very first time I think I showed myself The very first joke I did, um, like showed up my face, right? Spiky Spirit Guides didn't have my face out, just, just my voice. And maybe there's a video after that, but it doesn't matter. This, uh, particular video about Opposition Agent, the joke was, I, I go, Hey Sheldon, this is Rebel. I so you might have heard this card. Opposition Agent came out, what? So like the the switch in the voice, where yeah, the joke yeah. the joke in that the trans person is so shocked that they went back to their dude voice.
1: Um, <laughs> it's very funny, right? Moment and, of stress and it just happens, yeah. And
0: and the the point of doing that, and I never like shared this with people, is that I want I know a lot of trans people are so like myself is so self conscious about letting that voice escape when it's just part of you. And, and, and of course you, you know, if you don't want people to hear it, you don't have to, but at the same time, I don't think you should be super ashamed of it because it's just who you are. So I, I wanted to like make that joke because I also just want it. Like, I don't think there's a lot of humor out there or like, there's a lot of uh, displays of trans people out there where you're accepting of, of the thing you're trying to hide. Um, Mm -hmm. which is that, that dude voice
1: where I'm like, what? That's so hard because obviously I didn't go through the same experience as you, but it seems so hard to have to close a part of yourself while having to open another part of yourself. Like, I know that's like a gross generalization, but like the cognitive gymnastics or like what you have to do just seems super hard. Or I I just want people to have more empathy towards that. Cause like, that's just a whole nother level of ball game that most people don't have to, to go through. It just seems so tough. I think it's, it's the analogy is like,
0: you're, you're, you've always been there wearing this suit. And it's not so much that you're switching, but it's like, you're coming out of the suit. But sometimes the suit kind of closes back up on you again. Um, mm-hmm. And you haven't, you ha- you're not used to, you know, being out um, in, in any uh, expression of that phrase.
1: Mm-hmm. When did you realize, I mean, I guess you're saying you always knew who you were, but like when was, was there like a turning point when you realized like I needed to, to transition or this is who I really am. And I want to show this in publicly visible ways to myself and to others.
0: So I, I knew I was trans when I was like 10, um, really long time ago. I don't, I don't know why. I was just, I remember I was in Singapore and I was just like thinking to myself, I don't think I'm a dude. I just don't think, like, it just doesn't feel right to me. Never did. And then, and then, uh, for a long time, I thought, I thought about it that way. And then uh, I even told my mom in high school. So this is in Beijing, actually, actually this, yeah, this is in Beijing where I was like, Hey mom, I'm trans. And she's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then we talked about it. Um, and then I thought about transitioning when I was in New York, but then somehow I just didn't do it. I I was just like, I don't, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm not. Were you scared or was it something else? I think it was, it was just afraid that, uh, afraid that I've, I've lived this life to this, to this comfort, you know? to, to whatever. Um, I've I've like, in, why
1: rock the boat, right? Exactly. You know?
0: Exactly. Why rock the boat? Um, cause who knows, like, what if when I come out, you know, I'm super ugly and then everyone hates me. And then like, everyone just makes fun of me all the time. And I get super depressed and like, I'll never, you know, look the way I, I feel. Um, so yeah, after college, I was just like, you know what, maybe, Maybe I'm just a dude. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, right before the pandemic happened, I went, uh, I, I, I tried out cosplaying and I wanted to cosplay, uh, Mordred. So I don't know if you watch, you, you watch anime, right? Do you know, uh, I, I'm not up to date with it,
1: unfortunately. Okay. Do you know so. the
0: Fate series, Fate Stay Night? I, I've heard of it, but I have not okay. watched it. So do you know the premise of
1: Facing Night? No, you have to fill me okay, in. Okay, <laughs> I will fill you in.
0: I'll fill you in what the, 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 how it's relevant to this discussion. Face Day Night is about, um, basically these, uh, mages who fight a Holy Grail war to win the Holy Grail to make a wish and how they fight it is by they summon, um, hero or legends of the past. So for example, King Arthur or like Gilgamesh of Babylon, and they mm-hmm. all fit under like, uh, fantasy classes. So like every grail war there's a berserker a saber a caster a lancer an archer an assassin um and i say berserker it doesn't matter but essentially there's classes you always get one of each and the one that the character i really really liked i used to really like gilgamesh um which might be red flags to some people but i really liked mordred so so mordred is like uh, the son of King Arthur and, and Mordred is such a cool character. And I was thinking like, I really want to cosplay Mordred. So, so I bought the wig and I was like, I don't know, you know, like if I could pull it off, maybe I would do some makeup. And then, uh, I used a phone app or an app on my phone called B612. And it's like, a it's just like a selfie app and you can apply filters to yourself. It's like, it's like any other, you know, filter like camera app these days. I, remember I I tried it on myself and I was like, hey, I think I could, I think I could pull it off. Um, so, so that gave me the confidence to like, maybe, maybe it's worth trying. And then, and then over pandemic, thankfully, because I, I didn't have to go outside to meet people, I could just like, grow up my hair and like, try out all the things I wanted to try out, like makeup and stuff like that. And not worry about people at work being like, <laughs> Why does your, why is your hair so long and stuff like that? You know, like when, when you're going from short hair to like long hair, there's a period where that hair just doesn't look good. Like when it's just this long, it just looks like you just haven't cut your hair. You have to wait a little longer until it looks purposeful. Um, but yeah, like I think actually being, I imagine this is the same thing for a lot of like other trans people, just being able to have a lot more time to yourself and reflect on who you are just gave you the the space to like go in your cocoon and then come out
1: as a butterfly. That's awesome. So I guess the content kind of, it's not really connected, but, but the timing wise, it is, oh, okay. Okay, I think somewhat, somewhat
0: is connected. And I think it's part of the, the challenge too, um, like on, on the, on the theme of like challenging myself, the impossible, right. I wanted the challenge as well of like, if people accept me, you know, through my content, it validates who I am and my gender.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a total validation package. I get, I get that. Is, is that why you decided to go the, the VTuber route or maybe initially you did, right? So, yeah, so were... the VTuber route
0: is actually really depressing.
1: <laughs> um, as,
0: as funny as the, the VTuber is, is... I so I would post a lot of videos this was before the VTuber I post a lot of videos on Reddit and everybody knows if you post your videos on Reddit you usually get downvoted but I was thinking like is it because they just don't want to see my face? um like they just don't want to see you know my face so so then I decided to use the VTuber as like a as like an, a way to not you know to, to raise engagement it's, it's really messed up um also at the time, uh, I was reading about VTubers, like the, the software and stuff like that. Um, and I was thinking like, is this something I could do? Let's see if I could do it. And I did. So then I just started making the videos and I was thinking, how funny would it be if it was like an AI? Right. And then, and then I was, I, I, I figured out how to like, I thought about how to do the voice, what kind of character I wanted to be. And then I designed the, in my mind, designed the AI and then designed the character, um, and it's, just, it's, it's the AI is just so much fun to like actually play with. Cause the AI has, there's so much space you have to tell like creative or funny stories.
1: Um, yeah. What, why is that? Is it just because there's a, there's another representation of you that they can do that or because the AI can do interesting visual or audio effects, or I, I don't quite understand.
0: It's, uh, it's everything. So from, from like a production standpoint, right? I don't have to put on makeup I don't doing anything. I could, I could look as ugly as I want, but then the webcam with a VTuber, it's going to solve everything. I throw out, I don't even need a green screen because it's just, it had. you know, I can design, I could, my character can be in any background I want or any outfit I want be with any character I want and look good because if I, let's say I want to be next to Urza in a skit. What am I gonna do? Get a green screen here and then like have this bad webcam where I'm all fuzzy and stuff and have like a nice like Arizona just it just you know doesn't work the same way. Um from, from a production standpoint, the VTuber just simplifies everything because I can design everything, throw the the, the the design there, put the VTuber there and hit record on OBS and I'm I'm good. But from like a, a storytelling perspective, I think it's harder for an audience to uh, suspend their disbelief when they see, like, an in-person, like, you know, character, right? Like, unless if there's a lot of budget, like like Command Zone, and you're able to edit that well to, like, create that world so that people will believe it, it's very difficult, I think, for people to, like, um, buy the story you're trying to tell. So when I have an AI, like, you know, when I have this 3D model moving around and, and the, the VTuber and the AI and stuff like that, you're immediately, like, oh, okay, this, this is the story, like, I believe the story, I, like, you believe it, right? Like, there's, you just accept that this is an artificial intelligence, it talks, it has pink hair, it stutters, and it's going to do wacky things. And sometimes, like, you know, it talks this way and has all these, like, mannerisms. And, and then I can tell any story I want that fits, like, the, the lore or whatever, um, because you just accept it, right? I
1: get you. So how do you reconcile Rebel the AI or the VTuber persona versus this because I when I go look at your YouTube channel the intro video still has the the AI so yeah, like how do you decide like which videos are 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 using what persona I'll just use persona maybe that's not mm-hmm. the right word but like how do you how do you make those uh creative choices let's let's see.
0: so uh the AI, as I said, because the, I find the things that the, let's say the persona does the best, right? The the AI tells stories, like funny stories or creative stories very, very well. And also um, I'm like thematically tying the AI to information. So, so deck techs or whatever, you know, you, you can see the correlation between the AI doing that, right? The, 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 the person, does the more human side the, of, of, of the content, the things that uh, wants to create human connection. So, for example, Untitled, I, I mean, the whole point of Untitled is to be in person. So, of course, it's going to be me. Right. But but the new strategy series I have uh, that it's a, it's a I have two strategy series. I have one that's Rebel AI Command School, Commander Schools and I have me just like a vlog of me talking about just in-depth magic theory. Right. They're both essentially the same thing. Um, The execution is different, but also the intent is different. Rebel AI, this one is is more informational and more educational, while the strategy series is more about my personal journey as a person learning Ah, magic. And then when you're you're watching me talk about it and think it through, it's supposed to connect to you as like, you know, we're both people just trying to learn how to play magic, right? When you're watching Rebel AI, you're not necessarily thinking like, oh, we have the same thing. No. You're watching, you know, a character tell you something versus creating that connection. So when I first had Rebel AI, a lot of my content was all Rebel AI. And I consciously thought of like, I can't let the whole channel be just Rebel AI, even as fun as it would be, because I think there's an important part just, I don't know, to the brand or whatever, where people still know it's like, it's a, there's a person. So So I do think about it in terms of scheduling and also content type of making sure that there's somewhat equal um, representation of both.
1: That's absolutely brilliant. Because I actually don't think there are other, there's anybody else. I mean, we're all unique, right? But there's nobody else in MCG that's doing that sort of like that difference of persona. It's usually just one persona. And it might just be the person in real life, like cranked up to 11, but it's never like that delineation if you will like that's just brilliant Sorry, i, I you, there's no question about it. And it 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 just makes it makes sense like cuz you're doing different types of content and it's like a visual way to just demarcate what that content is going to be like literally someone like watching the video for the first few seconds like their mind will just make that connection without mm-hmm. you having to explain oh today i'm going to do um, a more like academic style video. Today, this is going to be me like just talking about how I feel about something like that's How did you come up with that? Like it just came to you like one day in a eureka moment or what? Well, I, I mean, I do like uh, some business strategy as
0: a UX like designer director. So so I think like a lot of business strategy and stuff like that and content marketing and strategies, just things I also employ in like what I do and, and the content I create. Um, there's like a lot more planning and a lot like I do, I do like actually sit down and think about like, well, for this piece of content I'm creating, what is the value? What is like, what is my strategy in terms of like this year? What do I want to make? What, like, there's a lot, I do treat it somewhat like a business and, and I solve all problems somewhat like, like I do with work, which is how I actually kind of met, uh, Sheldon sort of. Cause I just reached out to him. Is Sheldon Menry of yeah. the, the famous of, of the grandfather famous, or yeah. creator of commander, yeah. The creator of commander where I just reached out to him and I was like, do you have user personas of the commander, like players like that of things? Cause, cause to, I solve everything kind of like the same, the same way. Like I try and understand what the, what the problem is and then like kind of create a map of it and then like document everything and then see trends and all that stuff. Right. Um, so it's just to tie back to my content. It's the same thing. Like, I think from the outside, when you look at my content, it's, it's like, it's janky, right? Like it, it, the, the quality of it is, is purposely janky, but there's actually a lot of thought and strategy, like employed, not in a, like a deceiving way, but in a way that like, I do plan this stuff. Intentional. Yeah. I I intentionally think about like all these things. Um, I think also it's part of my personality where I just like everything. I just want to make everything um, and experience everything, which is why, like, I I wouldn't say it was like a purposeful like planning of of having like you know the rebel AI and then the the rebel rebel like you know separation and all that planning. It's just I wanted to make this content. So how do I make it make sense? How do I how do I make it work for me? Um, and that's also kind of like. I guess a theme of what I do in content creation is like, how do I strategize everything I do? So it makes I make the content work for me, even though I'm working like on it myself, right? I'm strategically picking what quality I want to make it and and what part, like how I want to represent something in a way that doesn't take, a, take
1: my life away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To make it manageable or sustainable. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about Untitled because I mean, this is something that you're breaking new ground here. But I, I want to hear in your own words, like just just how just your vision and kind of the 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 whole purpose behind the the project, and you know, from from idea in your head to execution. So,
0: Untitled uh, has been a thing I've always wanted to do for like a really really long time. Um, when I, when I first made content for Alan of Mental Misplay on Instagram, I used to like, when we start playing magic, I used to just start recording uh, on my phone when something funny is happening and I make like a funny little thing. But what I really liked about those videos is that it felt so immersive and personal where like, you know, we're seeing a moment of this game and there's a, a very emotional human connection to the game there. Um, and, and in my mind, I always wanted that for a whole game. I want to figure out how to do that. And and I thought about for months and months and months. Um, and I would think about like, do I use a GoPro? Do I, should I, I need, I need lighting and then I need to get like overhead and all this stuff. And then one day I was just like, shit, I'm just going to use my phone. I'm going to start recording and we'll see what happens. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And it works. It worked really well. Um, and and every episode I film I get better and better at that process and and the idea behind untitled originally is just uh every I think every commander gameplay channel um or or every representation of commander gameplay to me never ex- like truly uh, evoked the the feeling of being in an LGS, right, and and like I really wanted, to, yes, literally being there, like the having like the sounds of the blender in the background, like drowning out your audio, because because as a as a, a video product, it's just bad, right? Like conceptually, it just doesn't make sense for you to do that. Um, and and, Untitled is basically an experimentation in how far. How far can I divorce the game and people will still pay attention to the story? Because uh, in my mind, if you're watching a commander game... Like, you can boot up a commander, any commander game on YouTube right now and watch it. You don't need to watch the board. You can just listen to it and you might be good enough. Because a lot of it is just, like, overhead with cards. And then, like, you have to watch everything and eventually if you're like me you lose attention cuz my my attention span's very very small right so the experimentation there is like i want to i want to represent the feeling of being there and i also want to exp- i want to experiment what if you never even saw the board what if you're there for the people right what if just seeing the people and seeing what they're saying and seeing what they're doing you're able to actually track the story better by seeing that than than actually seeing the game right and I think that experiment, like, it's true. I, I, there's, I, so, so in the future, I will be adding, adding some more overhead, so it's easier to see that stuff. But essentially, that's what Untitled is. It's all an experiment to, to uh, represent or show these uh, really human and honest moments of magic um, in terms of who the players are, where people play and how it's experienced and the way I've pitched, uh, untitled. So I've, I'm redoing untitled sort of, um, I'm trying to improve it. Uh, and how I've pitched it to people is that, uh, it's not just going to be CDH. The, the value of untitled is I can go literally anywhere I want tell any story I want and, and show people, uh, authentically in a way that no other show can do. Um, I mean, you could, anyone could do it technically. It's just, you know, all the phone could do it. Um, but the, what I'm getting at is I'm able to tell a story. Like I meet Alex Ullman of the Popper RC down in Carroll gardens to eat a pizza, talking about Popper for a little bit. Then we're going to play a Popper game outside that pizza store. Um, and you're able to learn so much within that sequence of who this person is, how they're playing magic, right. where we're playing magic, and what is what is even the New York scene of magic, right? And and the magic behind the, this phone is that uh, a lot of people, when they're sitting, I think from a structural standpoint, this is very difficult for people to connect to when as an audience when I'm here doing this. Mm. Um, and also when you're playing the game and you know there's a camera over here. It's hard to be yourself. When I bust out this phone, every, first of all, everyone knows how to use this phone, and everyone knows how to behave in front of this phone because everyone has been filmed on a phone before. So suddenly, they're no longer an actor; they're just who they are, and and you can tell by the way. Like it can be more natural because of that. exactly, yeah. Um, and and you can tell just by the people who play on on Untitled. There's never a moment where people are just like, "Oh, I'm on content." They don't even see it. They don't even remember it. It, it's that that's like the magic behind like untitled is that we've broken the structure of filming and broken the structure of that content creation so far that, that I'm able to tell these stories in such an authentic way that a lot of other structures aren't currently able to do. And what I want to do is like, you know, the Alex Oman thing is very cool, but also like, uh, I really want to represent, you know, players that might not, be represented, um, on a lot of other like magic content, right? Like I want to get trans players. I want to get like people of color on, on, on this show. And it's not just for representation sake, but I'm honestly able to show them in a comfortable place and show who they are and not like, uh, show like this polished version that they're there's not that additional about. layer of artifice, which is yes. like, yeah. I'm able to show them as a person when the audience will be able to also connect with them as a person, which I think is like absolutely massive as like a, I don't know, like a, a platform. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's entitled. I think about it a lot.
1: <laughs> that's great. I, I almost think like there could be another name for a project. Like you, I know you're calling it Untitled, but it could also be, for me, it just sounds like it's unfinished and unfinished is actually a good thing, right? Because this is kind of like a creative collective, um, I'll use a really bad example. Like when I watched the Animatrix, it was like in that world, but every episode was like a different aesthetic. It was created by somebody different. So I could also imagine like this being sort of a perpetually unfinished project where every episode you could be experimenting with some new point of view or new way to tell the story. So you could have Alex and the pizza in one episode. Another episode you could have someone literally just like waking up from their bed and just like going from their bedroom to the game store and like talking uh-huh. about how am i feeling about my deck and like becoming a kind of journal so i think there's a kind of like deliberate unformedness or deliberate chaos to it which i think is like really appealing because i think i think obviously at the end of the day it's about the people like magic uh-huh. is just a a backdrop and now you're talking about creating a narrative that isn't just the gameplay itself, but actually going back to the people where the focus should be. Like in the past, with commentary or coverage and productions, there's a very like elementary way to do it, which is like here's a cue card that says this person, you know, top hated this many pro tours, and like his nickname or her, her nickname is whatever. And it's like, is that the personality? Like that's not the personality because we're all so much more complicated than that. So now you're like following somebody. It's like, you know, it's more like a Casey Neistat or like a vlog or like, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's more like a way to track someone's journey. Like, a magic just happens to be the backdrop,
0: right? Yeah. And I think that's what magic is for a lot of people is that it's, it's the the event that brings people together, but it's not actually like the focal point, it's being around those people, right? right? Where you're all meeting there. The place is like also part of it and you all happen to be playing cards. Um, so that's why I've just really enjoyed that project so far and hopefully, uh, it, you know, does even better in the future. Um, I have full confidence in it. So yeah, I, This is kind of like how i solve all problems again going back to like problem solving is like i see a problem and i try not to replicate the like the solution is like what if i just didn't do that right what if i made a thing in a minute and no one talked about no one says anything it's just do will people watch it apparently they do do can people handle without a board and shaky cam they can't um and and the other aspect of untitled uh is i really like the idea that it's so low budget that anyone can do it. Right. Like a lot of mm-hmm. people want to tell their stories, but they're worried about like, I don't have, I don't have the two cam set up with the right lighting and the overhead, oh. I don't even solve the overhead. Right. There's going to be glare, mm-hmm. like all this stuff. You actually don't need to, you could just pick up your phone. I mean, of course there's like skills involved in editing and all that stuff. Right. But, but sure you can start that journey by just picking up your phone mm. and trying it, right? If it fails, that's fine. Fail cheaply. As as long as you make your failure cheap and you learn from it, that's good. That's like the startup. Right.
1: That's the startup mentality. And this is the other thing that I, I'm sorry I went on a very long ramble just now, uh, but that's another thing that I think is absolutely great about Untitled is it's a, it's a back to basics in a way for content. What I mean is like, you know, if you look at an early Mr. Beast video, he didn't have like the $10 million budget. It was very like grassroots. It was just him and the iPhone camera and he just edited it himself. And then now we're in this era where like everything is so polished, right? Like even to do this interview, like I'm supposed to have a decent microphone and you're supposed to have a decent camera and like people get so fixated on that. But I think there's a kind of purity to just saying, let's go back to basics. It's just about the content. It's not about having a $3,000 camera and you're designing it in a way where you can't have a $3,000 camera because not everybody is going to be able to do a selfie with a $3,000 camera and like film it, right? And, and you're also doing something super innovative, I think, which is like passing the, the phone around to different people, which is like unprecedented, right? Like when in the history of content has there ever been like, at least in magic, has there ever been like different points of view? Like you're literally giving people different points of view and a voice. So it's like, there's something very pure about that and you're you're going back to a lo-fi aesthetic that is actually the revolution, which is like really funny if you think about it, but I, I like I, I'm just someone who always like thinks about how things are made. So it's like there's this that whole part of it is just like absolutely fabulous for me. Well
0: I think that's why it's also so engaging, right? Is that first of all, everyone knows how to use use his phone right so because everyone knows how to film with this you're also able to get your that person is the director right you're they're able to frame the shot follow like the way they follow it the way they they, they jump between the players and what they want to look at it just adds all that quality to it because you're watching the game through their perspective. You're not, you're not consciously thinking like, Oh, I'm watching it from like CJ's perspective right now or whatever, but it all, like it all works together. And you all, you believe in that story because it's just so like natural and and honest, which is
1: very cool. (laughs) So how are you thinking about pushing the envelope further or experimenting farther with this series? So, uh, I think the
0: lo-fi model works and I can technically keep shooting the way I haven't I've actually supposed to stop shooting it, but then, but then, you know, life happens and I'm like, Oh, this is such a cool, such a cool story right now. I have to do it. Um, like, like the most recent episode was for my, uh, birthday, uh, celebration at my friend's house and and it's 2 AM and we're all sitting there and someone goes, wouldn't this be a cool untitled thing? I was like, "Shit, yeah, okay." <laughs> so, so then we just start filming it, and it was it was great. But there was another time this this is a, the next episode that I need to release. It's taking me forever to edit. Uh, again, I did not intend to film anything for Untitled because I'm in the middle of rebranding and, and upgrading it. Is I was in LA with uh, MTG Hot Dog, our my friend Lauren and Shauna of. We used to be on the command zone or work on the command zone team. We were hanging out and we're playing magic at this, uh, LA game store called turn zero games, playing CDH played a couple games. And then Lauren goes, Oh, I have a friend who's, uh, playing at a barbershop and, uh, you want to go? And I'm like, okay, I got nothing to do. Like, I actually have nothing to do this week. I was hanging out in LA with nothing to do. So like, yeah, I'm going to do everything. So, we all go to the, we drive to the, the barbershop and I walk into this barbershop and it's the most LA barbershop you'll ever see. Like there's, it's just so many photos everywhere. It's just the cutest little store. And, and it's just like, it's such an endearing, like simple like location it has like you know your fold-out table It's like everyone everyone knows what this experience is like but no one ever sees it and it's in the fucking barbershop in la at like 11 p.m so i was like damn it we have to film this we have to capture this and then you know i've uh also the the person hosting it um you know it's this lovely guy and he has his own channel so i was like yo plug it like tell me what this channel is going to be like and I will do everything I can to like, you know, uh, get you out there. So it's just like, there's so much of that. I don't know. There's so much magic in, in, in creating this stuff and being there. Like, I don't know. It's, it's very exciting. Um, but that, that game took three hours. So it was just a lot of editing, even like another cool thing about Untitled is that at the moment, because it was a one phone, uh, uh, process, I'm already editing while I'm filming, like I would film and eventually they, they start fetching. I'm like, you want to take your time? Cool. I'll stop. You're done. We'll go again. Um, and, and it saves me a lot of time, you know, cause I'm already editing. It's only one shot. So I do have to like go through different things. So, um, even in that sequence, like even in that process, that game is very complex and, and will take me forever to edit. Um, but. I know we're. I uh, want to talk about how to upgrade it, but this is another really interesting thing I learned. So I I went on game, uh, game nights, and also I also met up with a professor for shuffle uh, shuffle up and play. Um, and I learned like a lot of skills from both of them on like, I guess directing, and and I don't think anyone would notice it. Uh, in my latest episode of Untitled for the, for the birthday episode, I actually started to direct, I wasn't playing that game. I started to direct the people a little bit more where I let it unfold. But as I'm watching, I'm filming and I'm, and I'm seeing how they're playing. I can be like, can you run that back or can you do it this way? So when I edit it, it feels completely natural, but now the, the viewer can actually follow the sequence of events much better than what I used to be able to do. So like, there's all these little skills, like all these things that, can, that goes into it to make it like a, a better product. Um, but from like a, a technical standpoint, I kind of mastered like the, the lo-fi version, right? Like we know the single phone version works. I want, I want this show, um, this isn't the, the nicest way possible. Cause I love the professor. I want this show to rival his show. Like I want to, I want to like actual rival all the other major gameplay channels in the most, you know, like friendly competition way. Right.
1: Yeah. And do it your never, way, which you're yeah. in your own
0: unique um, way. And I don't think being scrappy is the way that's going to do it. I think for uh, YouTube, like uh, the YouTube audience, um, there needs to be a degree of of polish that they'll believe that, wow, this show feels like it's worth X dollars or, or it feels like it's a 200,000 subscriber show. Um, therefore, I will subscribe and watch this thing, right? If it feels like it's a scrappy thing, even though it's very engaging you might not, you mentally might not make that associ- association where it's worth your time. So I want to see, and I, I did a lot of research in like uh, for uh, Warhammer 40k gameplay video, um, tabletop RPG video, because I, what I don't want to do, I know what I, what I know won't work is is following other like magic models, right? Because it's, it's just two different things. Um, what, I, what I do want to explore is, I want to keep the, 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 tabletop aesthetic or like that perspective. Right. So how do other mm-hmm. games, high-end games do that? Right. Um, and, and it's an ex- exploration or more experimentation in like with better budget and a better team and people actually thinking through it, how can we keep the spirit of it while making it feel like it's, it's a million dollars or whatever. Right. It's not, <laughs> I don't have a million dollars, but it's, it's again, another, like, uh,
1: challenge. Another challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so, that makes so much sense because I also think just saying, putting, sometimes I think putting unnecessary constraints on yourself, like that's going to stop you from growing. I mean, literally growing the channel, but also like literally growing as a creator. Like if you say that I'm only doing lo-fi or I'm only doing this, and I'm not doing that. It's just very hard to grow that way. Like you have to be willing to to mix it up. I I think you've got the right mindset which is like a mix of the practical versus like uh longer term goals as a creator. But it's I'm I'm really confident that you'll figure it out just from talking to you today, but it's like that's just so it's just so fascinating because it's like there's no other field I think other than content creation where you have to you have to like juggle all these things. Like there really isn't. Like even getting a company to to Series A funding, or to to get a certain degree of like revenue, that's still, I mean, that's just a different ballgame, right? So I, I'm not yeah. trying to make the analogy, but it's just like right. there's so many things. But there's also an aspect here which is like so many things have to land, and you can only do so much to like give it a good chance of landing. But then in the end, it's like multiplying the probability of this by this by this. Like all these things have to to line up. But that's also why we chase it, because there there is that potential, right? Yeah.
0: And I think so so even though like my my expectation or my my strong ambition of rivaling the professor, and I love him, again, this is not like a bad type of competition. Like I set myself, like I, I, I always expect, um, I think this is also a good piece of advice for any content creator, is always like, uh, expect that this is not going to be the thing that's gonna, that's going to take you to stardom, right? I can put as much money as I want, as much brains, as much time, as much thinking into untitled. I can have the best guests. I can have the best game, literally all the right conditions for this thing to be successful. And I know that there's a strong chance it just won't like, it just, sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. Right? Like, that's just, that's just the con like content creation or or content kind of works that way. Not everything, no matter how hard you try, is going to work. And, and accepting that it's again, the long game, it's about endurance. It's about making like being able to consistently put out more, more results and try to like break through. That's the thing that's going to get, get to like, I guess, success. Um, and not so much like all this other stuff going on, like, uh, uh, putting all your eggs in that basket, right? Like when, for example, when I go on game nights, I don't think I never for a second thought like, this is going to be my moment. Everyone's going to know who I am. I'm going to be super famous and I'm going to be the president. It's like, they're probably going to watch this game. I might get a couple of subscribers. That's it. You know, like I have to be prepared for like both options. I think a lot of content creators always are like... Always thinking like this is going to be the next thing. And then when it doesn't happen, they're so like devastated that it really brings them down. So like, I think just being not realistic, but just understand that it's just hard work. It's just endurance. Um, it's just long term. You just have to think for the long term. And some yeah. people, they will get lucky and you won't get lucky. And unfortunately, that's. That's just like what happens with 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 like the algorithm, right? Like some someone might make exactly the same thing as Untitled, but somehow like the the it just works better, right? And I can't fault them mm-hmm. for it. I have to be happy. Like, good job, you got there, and I'm gonna keep trying until until eventually I will break through and I will get to where I want to go.
1: It's just about. Keeping yourself in the game. Like you just as long as you're not exiting the game, like as long as you have enough uh endurance to keep playing the game, uh-huh. then you you'll have more shots at it. I, I think you're right. Like I, I also, by the way, have talked to a lot of people about their game nights appearance. I'm glad you brought it up because uh not to ask you a lot of questions about it, but I feel like they have similar reactions. Like they're very obviously they're very happy, they're very proud, they're honored to be invited to game nights, and it's a fantastic experience. And they get a look inside the the game night studio and they learn things as creators. That's always like a, a common denominator. But also I think people are realistic. Like this is just one part of my body of work that I'm building up. So it's not like there's no overnight success. You just do a lot of things incrementally over time. And maybe you get lucky and you can like fast forward five steps. But for most people it doesn't really it doesn't really happen that way. It's just uh I hate to use the term, but it's a grind, right? You just have to uh-huh. keep playing the game. And the most valuable thing I have from, like, that experience is, like,
0: just meeting people there and, like, making those relationships so important for each other. Yeah. I mean, like, not to to think about it from, like, almost a business standpoint of networking. It's just, like, that is my greatest takeaway is I got to meet Josh Lee Kwai and I got to see how he worked. And he, even though he didn't formally teach me stuff, like, just how how seeing him work see like the way he would direct uh like uh you know events or stuff like that or how he even taught me how to like say certain things or like the beginning sequence of how to introduce myself super valuable and the friendships I make you know with like Voxy and also Josh and everyone else from not from a content standpoint like that is like the, the real, I guess, takeaway, like the memories of like also meeting other people there is like, that's what I'm taking, getting out of this, uh, and not so much like the 200 subscribers I get
1: onto my channel. Yeah. It's not the code hard, uh, numbers. It's more about <laughs> yeah. the connecting, right? Connections, I should say, not networking. Yeah. Speaking of connections, can you talk a bit about the, your involvement with the community? Because I know from speaking to a few folks about your your, your body of work or your contributions, like that's a big part of what drives you as well. There's a kind of like an underlying current of, I want to contribute to the community. So tell me about what the, maybe define the community for you and then what it means to you and what kind of, uh, how you think about that. Okay.
0: So, uh, the community to me, I mean, it's tough. Like, I think I can answer this much better, like, a year, much honestly, a year ago or when I first started. Because the community is basically the shitheads I talk to every day online, on Discord, and we play games all the time together. Um, and, I like, I it's, the community is still the same to me. But ever since I started making more content and then I'm stretching myself a little bit more thin on other things, it's harder for me to, like, be on the same, you know, be on discord every night with people or like always hang out in general with them and talk with them all the time and stuff like that. It's just, to me, it's the same community, but my connection to them, unfortunately is like, even though I'm like fighting for them all the time, it's just, I don't have as much time to like talk with them. Um, so I would say it's the same, like, that's always a community I'm like trying to represent or like help, um, or like fight for. But lately I feel like it's just hard, you know, um, when there's other, like, I have all these other things going it's on. It's just a
1: function of time, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It's a function of time. Exactly. Um, and what, how it drives me is basically like, it's, it's everything. Um, it's, it's, it's the reason why I like almost do anything online. Um, so, so recently, let me, let me see, let me think about this example. Recently, I was talking to someone about, a about how important uh, the online CDH community is to me. And I think a lot of people might think it's stupid, but I don't think it's stupid. <laughs> um, where I basically told them, if I don't have these tangible people that I know of, like Sinestra um, and everyone, I, I know I just said Sinestra, I love everyone else It's not playing favorites, favorites or whatever. But like, if I didn't literally know the names and the, the usernames of these people and the voices and have like direct connection with who they are as people. I don't have the, the, the drive to be like time to fight for competitive commander and like make sure it's represented well and all like this Faceless
1: stuff. commander fan number 51 at LGS I've never been to. Right. Exactly. Like to me, like
0: from a uh, morality standpoint, like I want to represent everyone all the time and make sure that, they are in, they feel included in a game of Commander, right? But without like directly having people like you know in your mind when you're doing things, it's just hard to create that connection. And and rec- and somewhat recently, like uh, there was like a little bit of I guess tension within the community, and it was like super heartbreaking because like uh, CDH is very very uh, close knit for like the longest time because it's such a small community, and it's it's. I would say it's everyone has the shared like background of being, um, of a, what is it being the being the person that is ostracized from other commander experiences because everyone used to hate like CDH players because they're the they're the people who show up at your pod and like win on turn two when everyone's still playing like Kodama's Reach, right? Um, the pub stompers or whatever. That history. Everyone has a shared history of like not being accepted, you know, elsewhere and, and being ostracized and just like being hated on. So, so we are just really tight knit. Cause we know like, this is it, like, this is our space. We don't mess with people outside and they don't mess with us. This is our, our community. Um, and then as the community kept growing and growing, and growing, um, where at least I'm learning that, you know, this is, uh, no longer the same community that, that, uh, I first hopped into, um, just from volume right now, there's different perspectives and different, not to say factions, but different like, uh, modes of thinking. And, and now, you know, there's tension when there's like, oh, I no longer agree with like what you're doing or what you're doing. Right. Just from sheer like numbers. Right. And it's, it's so difficult for me to like see, see people like argue and like fight that way because it's like, I'm not sure of myself if, or, or I, the way I described it is like that community is my foundation. And if my foundation is not secure, how can I like, I, I don't feel secure in what I'm doing, right? Um, when I know my own community is like fighting amongst themselves. I mean, it's, fighting might be dramatic, but like it was definitely a little tense uh, before, but that's how important community is to what I do. I mean, if you think about the, the content I made before, is like it's about making the five people who really get the joke laugh right um and it's always been about about that but now that the community is much bigger like it's it's just harder to serve the five people when the five people are now 50 right that jokes is not gonna hit across 50 people
1: right it doesn't scale that well for that for that purpose mm-hmm I feel that. I mean, I'm not in the CDH community, but I think the fact is communities change, people change and agendas naturally arise. And for a group to be, basically you described as like kind of historically marginalized and then finally figuring out like, now there's people who are, maybe this is a bad analogy, but like now, now they feel like people are trespassing on their lawn because this is like my carefully curated community that I've been mm-hmm. growing my, in my little garden. Because nobody wanted me here, so I went and like started my community in this island. But now they're like people coming in the boats and like they want to like have their point of view. But damn it, I've been in this community so long, I just can't do anything else. Like that's just that's just like human nature in a nutshell. So it's like, mm-hmm. and the fact that you came from that island and now you're the prodigal daughter or son, like going back to that island, you're just like, this is not the community that I recognize anymore. And it's kind of scary and nerve wracking in, in some ways. Right? Yeah.
0: And, and I think it's just a lot of people don't see the amount of, uh, dedication, like CDH, I guess, uh, I don't know how to describe them. Like, uh, people who, who create resources and things like that and like read the database or like put their time and effort. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes just is as invisible that to people that don't, um, like don't really appreciate, um, and don't really know of. And this is very easy to like, I don't know, just, just kind of dismiss it a little.
1: I think it's like that in other communities as well. Like there's a lot of groundwork that people do to build it up. Like whether it's like developing a deck from what it was like five years ago to now, but then now people are coming in and they just take the the result and they just Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they claim credit for it, but they kind of just like just look at things in their own selfish lens. It's like, what have you done for me lately? Like, okay, so like they don't recognize or care about like the work that's been put into place to build the foundation for the last five years. They just care about like, what can you do now? And why are you playing this like crappy build? Like this person has a better build. Like like they're coming in with different intentions and that's just so hard to do, especially in a community like Discord where it's not even like Reddit where you can upvote or downvote things that are relevant. Like every, I mean, that's, that's the internet in a nutshell, right? The good mm-hmm. thing about the internet, everyone has a voice. The bad thing, everyone has a voice. Like how do you even make sense of all that? And now you're also a known person in the community. So it's like, you're probably being enlisted to, to be like faction A versus faction B, and it's like, and people are kind of like, you know, I missed the old rebel, and it's just like, how do you, how does a human mind even deal with all that stuff? Because I, I know I can't, so it's like, an and you're you're more well known than I am, so it's like I'm trying to extrapolate that. You know what I mean? Well, I think of it. I always try to be like super objective
0: in in like all the problems I have to solve, and like it's very easy to like you know feel especially when you have a history to and a personal connection to a lot of things that you want to like, you know, be like, yeah, Faction A forever ride or die forever, like tattooed over here, Nintendo forever, um, man. Exactly. Started. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the way I, so part of my, like, move to 1v1 magic is also like to learn a lot more about what other perspectives are like or what other communities are like within magic, right? Because CDH is very vocal online and it's a very unique culture. And I'm not saying the culture is like great or like, you know, should be idealized or whatever. Um, it's, it's just different. And I want to see like, how do other people literally talk with each other and how do other people like, uh, interpret, you know, decks or like critique each other and stuff like that. Cause I think there's like some miscommunications earlier because of there's just different, like, there's just more voices coming into this garden. Right. So what I'm trying to do is just understand like, all right, here's all my different user, user groups, these are how they talk and, and trying to understand the intent of behind why they're talking and then create like understanding between like, okay, well, it may sound like this, but actually what they're trying to do or the reason why they're doing a certain thing is because of this. Right. And we can, and, and I'm also trying to like, I'm talking with like everyone to understand what, what their goals are. So then, um, I can objectively say like, you know what? Yeah. Faction a was wrong. You know, like, or these parts of community actually just sucked. And, and we have nostalgia for like a bad thing um, or, or, you know, parts of things that used to work for a group of five people just doesn't work for 50 people now. So so that's kind of how I try to pursue
1: it. That's good. I, I, in a way, it's really the only way, right? It's to try to be <laughs> objective. And, and <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to be? Right. Um, I know people represent themselves differently. Online, but I'm glad you're 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 sticking up for that. Uh, and also, speaking of community, you're now also a prominent. I mean, you've you've always been in leadership positions in Magic, but now you're in the Commander Advisory Group as well, the CAG or the KAG. Yeah. So I know you're a more recent member. Tell me what that experience has been like so far. The same. <laughs>
0: um, so I think Just bigger with, point. Yeah, yeah. Without without the the CDH like if we went back to the previous conversation, remove the whole CDH part of it, that's also kind of like, I don't want to say my appeal, but like the, the reason why that I think uh, my perspective is valued for, for the RC and the CAG is because I'm not thinking, I think about or talk about CDH and commander overall objectively together. Like I understand what CDH players are like. And I also understand what, you know, uh, what, what I guess their representation is like in, in, sorry, I understand their place within the overall commander experience, what other commander players are experiencing and what the problems are, um, across the entire spectrum. Right. Again, going back to like user group, ABCD, right. Um, so go like the, the transition over to the CAG I don't think there's ever been a transition really. Like in my mind, um, when I started having this discussion with, uh, Sheldon and also the RC, um, I always like, I guess, expect, expect failure. <laughs> um, but, but it's, it's not failure in the, it's not really failure. It's more like, even if I don't get a title, I'm still always gonna be doing the same thing I'm doing. Right. The title is almost meaningless. Um not to say the title stuff is meaningless, but like to me it's add a label, take away a label, I'm still gonna be solving the same problem. I'm still gonna be talking to to the RC and the CAG members about the same things and now I just happen to talk to them a little bit. It's just making it official or formalized or some in some outside way, right? Yeah. So I I don't think it's necessarily too different. Um but it is it is, you know, it's cool.
1: (laughs) How 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 do you think people perceive what you you do differently because of that title? I know it doesn't really change that much for you internally, but I mean, is, is there like a perception change that you can feel at all? I don't think so at all. Um You know, do you know who Alex Kessler is? Yes. Okay, so Alex Kessler. Uh, but maybe is... we can explain it. He's uh, he's also a content creator. Uh, yeah. and yeah, uh, maybe you can explain what he does better than I, I can. He has a, he
0: has a, a podcast and also a, a YouTube, um, uh, masters of modern. Um, and yeah, I think he, he originally focused mostly on modern content, but he also does a lot of Commander content as well. He also has a, a rocking, uh, toy company, um, toy brand called cast games. So, you know. If we have kids, if that likes balls, go check it out. Um, but Alex Kessler, when we first, when I, when I uh, was announced as a CAG member, we were having brunch with other people, I think. Or maybe I wasn't announced yet, but at some point he was like, you're very interesting as a CAG member because you have always been more of like a, a, a trickster. Like, like I, my online personality has always been very mischievous, mischievous. So, so giving someone who's mischievous, um, some like not authority, but like maybe like putting them in a, in a a more official position is very interesting because, um, it'll like, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I think that's what he said. So, so, To me, it's still basically the same. I don't feel any, like, difference in in perception. If if anything, people just make fun of me, like, oh, look, it's Cag Rebel now.
1: Don't ban my card. (laughs) I can't ban cards. I think you're the perfect person for something like this because you're not operating from a place of egotism. I do feel like a lot of people... In some ways we all are but it's about to what extent i feel like we all use magic to sort of realize our self-worth in different amounts oh i definitely do i don't i I mean sure I'm, i'm just saying i'm just saying some people go really over the top like you know it's like their life is their their deck or somehow having like a tweet that's a banger or something and i know it's it's a stupid example but um some people really get off on titles and being recognized uh, I would say even some people in the keg, uh, and RC, but you're not that kind of person. And I, I think the diversity of, I think, I think there was a terrible topic recently about diversity of like keg members in RC. And I just want to, I don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole, but I think it's more important to have like diversity of thoughts. It's more important to have like diversity of what the fuck are you in here to do? Like, that's actually more important than just like some of the other things, which, um, Again, sorry, I'm not gonna get into too much into that, but like I think you're a good counterpoint to that because you strike me as like the right kind of ego. Like you, you have ego, we all do, but it's about like trying to do something to understand the community and to develop it, to try to understand perspectives and try to like get people to think about things in a different way. Like I learned about so much about C E D H just from watching your C E D H video. I, I watched the whole thing. Uh, and it was just like, holy shit! I never thought about it that way because, like, in my simple mind, it was like I only thought of things in like black and white. Honestly, when it came to magic formats, so I just basically thought of C H as like, is this modern? Is this legacy? But I think what you were saying in the video is like, it's a state of mind, and it's like that that gray area that I I'm starting to really embrace. Frankly, this is why I'm inter- interviewing people who are n- known more for Commander. It's like because I'm trying to understand that like I am i don't want to just talk to um people who are just like really self-serving and they just care about like you know top eighting a tournament so they can write a guide about that like you're just not someone who is in that mold at all like you can top aid a tournament you're very capable of doing that but it's like anyway that's God I'm going so long <laughs> here but like I just think you're the right person to bring that sort of perspective. And I think diversity of perspective where people are not driven by ego and like like promoting their own brand all the time. I think that's really important in magic. And I think you embody that.
0: Thank you. That's, that's very high praise. I do think there's one um, I think one thing I do want to touch on on the note of diversity. Um, a long time ago this is this is when I used to even wear a wig. Um, Sheld- Sheldon mess message to me. Uh, sorry. That sentence was weird. Sheldon messaged me and asked me who should be on the RC. Like if you were to add someone to the RC, who would you add? And uh, he also added, you can add yourself if you want to. And, and I was like, no, no. Like the, the thought was so abstract and like so impossible. Right. Um, And, and then I thought about, and I had this, I had the exact same, like kind of perspective that you have is like, uh, I value diversity of thought, right. Uh, of, of who should be on, on this kind of governing body or whoever is thinking about the future of this format. I want to make sure that their thoughts are the things that, that is, you know, is driving like the quali- qualification, right. Um, as at like, you know, diversity is important, but I also want to make sure that, that that part as well. And then, and then I thought I, I, I gave my recommendation and then I thought about it for like a month, a month and a half. And then, uh, we had another follow-up discussion, uh, chat and I told them, you know, you know what I thought about a little bit more. And I think I understand why I told you, I didn't want, I didn't vote. Like I wouldn't vote for myself. And I think it's because I just look different, like from, from a diversity standpoint, right? Like we're just different. Like it's hard to even fathom that someone that looks like me or you would ever sit on, like, I mean, it's dumb cause it's a, it's a, a rules committee for a card, for a fan, it's a fan format now official of a card game, right? Like we're not talking about po- real politics here. We're talking about who gets to ban a card for a card game. Um, but still. A lot of people look up to it a lot of people think it's very important and see themselves in it and and the idea that like the fact that i don't look like any of them and the fact that i couldn't even fathom myself take a position there is the problem like part of the problem right and then i th- and then i think i told them like i would you know what now that i think about it i would vote for myself for rc <laughs> um and i and and this isn't to say like this isn't to, to open up the diversity like discussion, I, I think it's just the important point here is that I think, uh, the RC is kind of like this aspirational body for a lot of commander players. And, uh, there is a real opportunity in letting someone see themselves represented on that body, right? Cause it makes you feel like you actually, you deserve, not you deserve but you are a part of that community. Right. Um, so, so I think like, that's the only thing I'll talk about in regards to that subject. Cause that's a, a big subject. Um, but that's just something that is kind of interesting.
1: I love the fact that you thought about the issue or the answer you gave for like a month, month and a half, <laughs> and then went back. Like I I'm the same way. I'll still remember like some interaction I had two months ago. Maybe it's cause I journal as well. It's just like, I think people appreciate it a lot more when like you don't just when you give well formed answers. I, I like people humans can tell that other humans are thoughtful. Like and it like if you since you went back to Sheldon like a month later and said, Maybe I should be on it, like he knows that means like take it from me. He knows that you thought about it. It wasn't just like your initial answer. Like you're just a really introspective person. And I, I, I think that's also a part of it that Will help any committee or group because we just have a tendency to be super like short sighted, right? Like I'm sure like next week we'll forget about the thousand dollar proxy booster packs, uh, but like no, I mean I remember stuff that happened in Magic like five years ago. I'll remember this conversation in three years or whenever when you have a million YouTube subscribers or whatever, and like you I'll be like that was when I talked to Rebel and you know when when she was, was just getting started. Um but like, I think perspective is really important and also like the longevity of the perspective. Like, so I, I think you're, for those reasons, Like, I think you're going to be a really good or you are a good fit for those sorts of things. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Rebel, I've uh, kept you up long enough uh, in your part of New York. Um, what is the best place for people to find you on the internet or where you would like your content to be found? You can find me on YouTube. Uh, my YouTube account
0: is Rebel Sun. Just when you spell Rebel, it sounds like you know, sounds like what it sound. It spells like what it sounds like. Just make sure you have two L's at the end. Uh, rebel Sun without the two L's is a very different channel, so you don't want to land on that one. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. It's a reversed Sun Rebel, which is a bad, kind of bad, uh, thing there. Uh, I don't remember why I did that, but.
1: There you go. Thank you Rebel for taking the time and uh, this is this has been a really it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I hope you have a good rest of the the evening. Where yeah, this are. was great. Thanks for having me.
0: I really had a great time.